Welcome to Shed Life. Hello, everyone. Today we're joined by a very good friend of mine. He's a football nut or soccer if you're from the Americas, and he's an avid Newcastle United fan. We're joined by Ro. How are you today, Ro? I'm very well, mate. Um, thanks for having me on uh, the shed. It's a privilege and an honour. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. So today we're going to discuss uh, all things football, mainly Premier League, because that's our um, home sport. Um, yeah, how many, I mean, to start off with, how much do you fucking miss the Premier League? Oh, mate. Um, I mean, being in lockdown was uh, just the initial bit, but not having the football in our lives, you know, how can it get any worse? You're stuck at home with no sport on the TV, let alone no Premier League, uh, let alone no Newcastle United games, you know. Um, I'm really missing it. Um, and I'm sure you are as well, knowing that you're such a football nut like myself. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I'm a, I'm I'm an enthusiast. I think you are a nut. <laughs> nut religion, all same thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah fair play man yeah I kind of have to um, mirror those kind of feelings it's definitely missing football especially live Premier League games um, Champions League everything do you know what I mean I'll take anything right now yeah any for- form of live football um, just before we get into all these questions um, so I was just for all the listeners out there I was speaking to Ro the other day and he, he came up with a brilliant idea and he came up with a little game for me based around football and this game was can you name it sounds simple on the surface, but there's some rules, so I'll just explain now. Can you name your Premier League eleven of the season? So Premier League of the season, Premier League eleven of the season for the nineteen twenty season. Um, and the couple of rules we instilled were basically you can't have more than three players per team. That's, that's correct. correct. Yeah. 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 And uh, so basically following the fantasy football, Premier League fantasy football rules. So no more than three players per team. And also we both decided on a, a, for, a formation ourselves beforehand. And that was a simple 4-3-3, which we think is kind of a, yeah the modern day uh, standard formation. Yeah. So what we'll do is, we'll, yeah, we'll get to that later on in the pod, uh, probably right towards the end, just to keep your listeners excited. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, yeah, feel free to play at, play, play at home as well. And uh, we'll try and make a combined 11 at the end of the show based on each of our individual teams. Ooh. So there we go. A bit of fun and games in the pod, eh? And it's lockdown. Indeed. A little debate as well. Everyone loves a little footy debate, don't they? Yeah. There we go. All right, so let's start off with, I mean, there's so much talk every day if you look at Sky Sports News and this and the other in terms of when's the league going to return. I guess that's really out of our hands. It's first port of call is probably the government and then it's obviously down to the Premier League as association, you know, up to them when we, when we get back into live football. Uh, from your point of view, how feasible do you think it is to actually play this season uh, post-COVID and obviously not post-COVID, but post-lockdown and during this whole situation? What's your thoughts on that? Well, um, to be very honest, mate, um, before uh, the lockdown happened initially, when it happened around March, I was very positive um, surrounding the aspect of you know, our beloved Premier League starting again. Um, but as the days go on and the more you hear in the news about other leagues deciding to cancel, such as um, the Dutch league this week and also the French league uh, making a decision and also their president coming out and saying that there will be no games at all, even behind closed doors till the end of September. 
it really does make a bit of a bit of a worry to be honest about how we could could finish it um i think when you look at the whole situation you you know you, you want you want the games to be played you know you you know regardless i think that's the fair thing to do but sometimes you need to take a step back and just look at what's going on in the world and there's obviously so much more than football right now um that being said obviously it's a big part of our lives and we want it to want it to obviously finish um how we do it i have some ideas in my head but um they may be unrealistic but um i think there's certain teams that obviously would want the league to be scrapped um i was reading something earlier this week you know when this happened during the world wars the league was ended and effectively it was started again obviously times have changed now a little bit but would we have to adopt a similar ruling? Um, I mean, what would I would like to hear your opinions on that, obviously, uh, mate, and just to see how you feel about that. But um, in my heart, I can see it finishing. I think we're determined to finish it. The Premier League teams want to finish it. Um, maybe not Man United, but, um, <laughs> you know, what can I say? Yeah, I mean, going, going back to that earlier point you said, there has been news in the last couple of weeks. So for example, um, the big, the big from the bigger leagues, uh, French league especially this week cancelling, uh, the Dutch league last week cancelling. There's also been news, obviously, you know about Germany. You know they're still holding faith that they can restart the league in a few weeks. Portugal have come out today and said, yeah, we're we're, we're pretty confident we can come out and start it. So it's kind of split in the middle. You know, it's not yeah. like a. a a one one size fits all approach in Europe at the moment, um, and that holds quite interesting views because if we think about a competition like the Champions League, which is obviously a European competition, you know they're obviously going to have their own point of view about how they continue. Um, like PSG, for example, who are still in the Champions League. They said the French, even though the French league's been scrapped, uh, we heard today they actually got um, announced as champions, which is yeah. maybe another topic in itself. Um, but they still, they still um, see themselves continuing in any form of Champions League, which uh, occurs at the end of the se- uh, during the season, when, if and when it continues. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, there, there's different mixed views across the across the continent at the moment. Um, it's very interesting to see what happens. Yeah. I think um, we're all waiting in UK on the next sort of government guidance, which I think is due to come out uh, this Thursday. Uh, what day is that? May the seventh. Yeah, just before the bank so, holiday, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. We've got a, we've got a bank holiday on the Friday this year. Indeed, the yeah. early May, May bank holiday, which is uh, a change. So I think that's mm-hmm. in line with the uh, victory in Europe. Correct. Right? Yeah. Um, I think. But I was um, I was just sorry. No, sorry, sorry to cut you off there, uh, mate. I was just going to say with the PSG um, thing, uh, they actually I think they came out yesterday and said that they're willing to pay at a neutral venue that isn't even their country. So there is a real appetite for teams to, you know, finish this Champions League as well. If we're talking about football in general, so you know, positives on that in, in that sense, and not negative vibes such as the ones that are coming out from the Dutch league. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the, but yeah. I mean, going on to that neutral venue sort of thing. I think they had a Premier League meeting today, and I think they got advice from the police, and they said it's basically not feasible to host games at all twenty stadiums across the country they basically have come to the conclusion that if games were to continue they're going to have to spread it across uh, i think eight eight or eight to ten neutral venues around the whole country 
or sorry, that, 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 that's a lie. Not, not across the country. It could be anywhere. It could be anywhere, but eight to 10 neutral venues where they'd continue and finish off the season. So that's actually a really interesting point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We've, we've not had that. It's almost like, um, how many games remaining? It's going to be like cup finals for each of those teams almost. Do you know what I mean? No fans. Yeah. Uh, foreign, when I say foreign, different surroundings. And, um, yeah, very very interesting to see how that impacts uh, potential results and stuff. Definitely, especially the season being so tight. You know Definitely, I, mean? I think you know. I think even Gary Neville said it as well. You know, uh, <clears throat> you know. He, I think what he said on Sky Sports earlier this week is that all it takes is one member of staff, one member of the back office team, one member of um, the players, or anything like that, just to get any symptoms or a positive test, and that's it. It's game over, um, and we're back to square one. I think we've got to hold on to that positivity, such as you were saying, obviously, you know, playing playing at those venues, playing at those neutral venues. Um, we'd obviously love it to love it to happen. I think what the, what the one thing we probably both agree on is going to be a thousand percent is going to be behind closed doors. There are going to be no fans in those stadiums the rest of this season, guaranteed. Um, maybe even all the way until the start of September, October, they're going to look to start again that round then instead of the traditional August start. Um, I mean... I think that's a given. I think it's going to be a delayed start to next season, mm. regardless, isn't it? Yeah. It's going to be tough. I think they'll use every every inch they've got in terms of time to uh, delay as much as they can to the next season. Right? Definitely. I think, you know, when you look at the risk assessment of it, as you were saying, I think it's, they. as I said, they all we all want it to happen and even they want it to happen. But there is that thing in the back of their head saying, if something goes wrong, how are they going to be scrutinised in the media? How are the media going to jump on their backs? Um, say that they did it all wrong and the league should have been scrapped like the Dutch league. Everything would be running through their heads right now. Um, I think you have the added complication as well, the fact that players' contracts run out on the 30th of June. What are you going to do then when players can't even play for your team? Um, Other players moving from different divisions? It's a real complicated process. So, you know, going back to your original question, you're saying whether I feel positive about it, kind of, you know, whether I feel like it can happen. My heart says yes. My head actually is leaning towards no right now, Mish. Uh, but yeah. Fair enough. There we go. Um, <laughs> interesting stuff. Um, Very niche situation that we're in. Eh? All right. So you, 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 is a niche situation, niche situation. Yeah, indeed. Spot on. Um, so if we're talking about like that point you made about testing, the one thing that is an absolute given um, or has to be sort of implemented if the games were to resume, testing has to be at the forefront, right? Because you need to know which players, which backroom staff, you know, which stadium staff, etc., has been um, has been affected if if at all. Because we know this uh we know this um, virus can be asymptomatic for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess, you know, you never know who's got it and who hasn't got it. So that that's not another issue you were saying when you were sort of saying the media would jump on this, that and the other, the public might jump on this, that and the other. Mm-hmm. The testing, like getting the testing resource, they can't expect the government to do that. They have to do it all in-house, if you like. And that obviously comes out of their pockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, how feasible is that as well? Because... You got to remember, you got to test maybe before and after each match day, and that's not just for the eleven or uh, fourteen or sixteen. If they end up doing five subs like the FIFA have suggested, 
uh, players who play. You've got to do all the backroom staff, all the support staff, all the stadium staff, anyone else who's there helping on that sort of match day. How feasible is that, in your opinion, financially and um, sort of uh, logistically? And that's that's the that's the ultimate question, really. Um, financially, I don't think it's any issue for these uh, Premier League teams. You know, they've they've come out today and they you know they're buying they're buying masks for every single member of their their team. And these are these are not just your box standard masks. These are these are the stuff that you see right on the front. Well, what you would hope to see on the front line, which unfortunately we're not seeing on the, on the front line, um, but even greater than that, um, I think when it comes down to testing, um, that again, they seem to be able to get tests left, right, centre, whereas people that are dying can't even get tests. I mean, I don't know if you saw the article, mate, but I mean, Dybala, Dybala for example, um, who is obviously, uh, I believe to my knowledge, a Juventus player still, um, he, tested, he tested positive for COVID four times within six weeks. So he got a test four times within six weeks, but then a frontline officer in the UK or even in Italy couldn't even get a test. You know, these clubs... Wait, what do you mean? Sorry, go back. What do you mean? He got, he got four he tests got four, He tested positive weeks. for COVID-19 four times within a six-week period. Pablo Dia. Oh, Bar- mate, that's got to be some now, dodgy... That's got to be some dodgy tests in that Is case. that dodgy? Is that not? you got to have some false... You gotta have some false positives in there or something, man. That's crazy. Four times positive in six weeks. I think that's purely down to the testing. But going mm-hmm. back to your question, um, so, um, how does he get his hands on four tests? Has he gone through the private private system? Obviously. Well, this this is the thing. The football the football teams have seem to have such easy access to the testing. Maybe it does boil down to the money, you know, and. Again, again, back to your point, is it a reliable testing if he's had four within the period of six weeks? You know, myself and you, um, you know, we could go down to Harley Street right now in London and get a test and it cost us £295. But is that a reliable test? You know, that this is this is pocket cash to these um, Premier League teams. So, so I think when you're looking at testing the players before every game, I think it is a feasible thing that can be done. Um, testing the, you know, but you've got, then you've got to test the ambulance staff, the backroom staff, you know, you, you know. But it's you're going to have to really limit the amount of people that are in these stadiums for the games. You know, I have an idea. Oh, that's, sorry, that, that sorry, just to buy in there. That's a it's a good point you raise about what you call the ambulance start. Uh, how I think that's arguably one of the um, the biggest sticking points, right? How can you know how can you have ambulance staff there looking after a football game? When obviously I know the prime minister's come out and said um, we're past the peak, this and the other. Uh, the NHS was never overwhelmed, um, but still resources going, resources like ambulance, um, uh, you know, whatever they are, the you know, doctors, etc., medics, blah blah blah, police, anything like that. You know, is it is it uh, a valuable use of resources to have them at football game? This is the argument, because obviously we know the good feel factor of restarting football to the public and the mental health kind of implications that will have in the sense of it will make everyone feel good. It will give something to occupy their time and it will make give them a sense of, okay, we're getting out of this lockdown slowly and surely we're going to see live football games. But actually taking resources off the front line and putting them in football stadiums. Um yeah, that's a fantastic how, how feasible point. is that and how, how moral is that? The, the morality of it probably isn't moral, really, is it? Um, 
feasibility, it can be done. Um, I think I think what comes down to it all in this moment of time is the money that's involved in this in this Premier League. It's just it's money that we 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 can't even fathom. You know, um, one of the big things that a factor that is speak for yourself. You're in the shed, mate. Right? <laughs> speak for yourself. Sorry, I do apologise, good sir. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, I think I think I lost my trail of thought there, but. Um, what I was what I was uh, trying to say was that when it comes down to the money that's involved with these TV rights and everything like that, this is why they they wanted to happen. If there wasn't the TV rights involved, I think the the league personally may just be scrapped as it is. But it's the money that's behind it um, and the driving factor of obviously wanting to finish the league that will keep will keep it going. You made a, I think you made a fantastic point earlier about the likes of uh, Germany and Portugal looking to start up their seasons again. I think the real difference is that they've done they've both done fantastic as countries. Germany, you know, you're looking at a country that has more cases than the likes of the UK, you know, but fantastic way of minimizing the impact of what COVID has done to them. Obviously, sad cases that they've had there, but fantastic way. And why is that? Because they've done really well. And that's obviously comes down to a different situation that we're talking about with the government. But the UK being probably the third worst country in the world, if not the second worst country in the world for deaths. That's a massive impact. Mate, yeah, they're, they're, they're literally arguably one of the worst in Exactly. Because um, we don't know the true figures, you know what I mean? And um, if you look at the actual influence and power and economical power within the, the whole of Europe, well, I know outside of Europe, but, you know, the, as a continent, it's, it actually looks pretty bad, do you know what I mean? It looks actually really bad how, how bad we've ended up as a country in that sense compared to others. Totally. And I think... I think I would hate for I would hate for the you know the Premier League the or the FA or whoever's involved in this just to make a snap decision. But I think now their their hand has kind of been forced into making the decision by UEFA. Obviously, they've given them up. I think they've given them until the twenty fifth of May um, for all European leagues to make a decision about what's going to happen, and that's four weeks away. Uh, come next Monday, so you, you you're looking at making a rash decision because in four weeks' time, our scenario may not be. Yes, arguably it may be better, but are we going to be drastically better? Probably not, unfortunately. Sorry to those listeners that were looking for some hope and positivity. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just um, I think it's 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 a real situation, and I wouldn't want to be the one making the decision because I know I would act with my heart over my head. Well, that, that's the thing. I think everything you've laid out so far, you've given. Good points on e- either side. Good points to re- restart the league and real valid moral and ethical points as why it should not restart. Mm-hmm. And financial as well, do you know what I mean? But it, it, it's such a tough decision. So I don't really envy the people in charge of the Premier League at the moment. Mm-hmm. Because number one, it's such an unprecedented situation. It's such a it's such a situation where there's so many unknowns. It's so hard to make an educated decision about what to do going forward because the sort of the landscape seems to change every day. There's one day where you feel, okay, we're feeling quite positive. We've got the Bundesliga, the Portuguese league. They're, they're feeling confident we can do this and the other. And then another day you go, the French league, the Dutch league, all saying, oh, we're just scrapping it. We don't feel confident. And it just sort of plays your mind a bit because in terms of proximity, they're, they're all pretty close. I mean, as a country of Europe, obviously with neighboring countries, it's, it's not far off. And you think, all right, the, the, these guys got their house in order. Obviously, it's different, but everyone's got different moral and ethical standpoints as to why 
it should and shouldn't shouldn't restart. And I think one thing we said is even if you get tests available for each and every person or member of staff, et cetera, player in the Premier League who's going to play, is that good enough reason to restart the league? Is that feasible? Is that big enough of a, a checkbox to say, yeah, we can do it? Because one thing you said earlier, if one player gets it, what does that mean for the whole of the league then? Do you go back to square one where we are now mm -hmm. or do you just go one step further and say, we're done, let's just scrap it because it's clear we can't manage this. It's it's beyond us. It's it's a force majeure, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's act of God. We can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Indeed, indeed. And I think, you know, I, something that's popped into my head, the moral, the moral aspect of all that you were talking about, if I'm asked to go back to work, and yourself has asked to go back to work. Are we getting the COVID test when I walk through my door? Probably not. So why is a Premier League player getting a test not. when they walk through okay. their door to play a game? It's, it's a very good point what you say with the moral aspect of it all and, you know, how the media will come down on it all. Because um, I can assure you I wouldn't be getting a COVID no. test, you know. Um, I'm sure the case is the same for you. Bro, bro, bro. Sorry, bro. One thing I've got to add to that because you're spot on because... It's not all we're not hearing too much. We're hearing individual, you know, feel good interviews and how people are coping during lockdown and all that, just to keep media presence going, especially on Sky and stuff like that, which I understand because you've got to fill the gap somehow. They're, they're kind of doing a good thing by keeping maybe a bit of positivity around, you know, and keeping football alive in people's minds and maybe showing a side of football, which we don't see people at home and their own personal, you know, experiences and history and what they're up to now. But, um, Shit, actually, I, I lost my train of thought as well. <laughs> That's okay. Um, sorry. No, I found it. I found it. <laughs> there are actually a lot of players. There are, there are a lot of players who actually don't feel comfortable restarting the season. Fantastic. Like the most recent we saw in the news, I think today or yesterday, Sergio Aguero came up and said, I don't feel safe doing it. Players don't want to come and play. And there have been other multiple players over the last few weeks and months who said the exact same thing. They don't feel safe playing for themselves and then going back to their, their wives and kids or girlfriends, etc., families. They don't feel comfortable. So we haven't heard a single side of that. We haven't heard anyone come out and, and say, we don't want to continue playing. Do you know what I mean? It, it seems like it's a decision which has gone above. But what, what if you get a Premier League team where like nine out of 25 or 30 of them say, no, I don't want to play? That, that's a big chunk of your squad. That, do you know what I mean? that is, that's a great that's point. We haven't even considered that aspect. Hmm. that's something I didn't even consider uh, to be honest that's a fantastic point because that goes, that goes to your yeah because that goes to your your statement that you just made there if me and you were asked to go back to the office whatever we do the fire truck I think you do whatever we do and say <laughs> <laughs> we don't get tested <laughs> five months out um, we oh yeah there you go <laughs> they Day and night for you. Um, <laughs> it, we, if we say we don't feel comfortable going into work, then, you know, it is what it is. It, it's a bit difficult when you're a Premier League star, I'm guessing, because if you're big, big stars getting paid big money, how would your club react to that? Do you know what I mean? If everything else has been put into place before your acknowledgement or consideration. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's, that is something that's a fantastic point. We, we, I think one thing we forget is that, you know, these guys are humans, you know, at the end of the day, we, you know, you just mentioned Aguero, you know, he's saying that, you know, he's worried about the well-being of his, his family. And that's totally the same way that myself or my father or your family would feel about going to work as well. 
it you know the only difference is is that they get slated because they get paid a hundred thousand plus a week and that's the reality of the situation is we we do forget that they are human beings as well um really good point made there i think i think what he said is that he'd only play when once there's a vaccine available but then you know he may not have been playing next season <laughs> so you know that's a bold statement bold yeah, yeah. statement to make yeah. um you know but then again his his priority is his family probably and his well-being and that's arguably his own right to have that opinion so you know this these are all other factors that are part of it as well and you know i i i personally have my own theory about how they can end the season within a within a five week time frame. Now it may sound outrageous, but I have a theory in my head. Um, but then it goes down to BJ. When I say BJ, Boris Johnson, don't get too excited, people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> allowing us, allowing us to have free movement. You know, they can't be. Yeah. All right, you know. Let- yeah. Let, let, let's hear this five-week plan you've got mapped oh, out. Oh, no. You're obviously gagging. No. <laughs> um, all right. So my, th- my, my, my theory is, is what can be done with the Premier League, and hear me out here, please, brother, um, is that... Um... <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're being heard. I would like to say by millions of listeners, but well, let's just say the show's quite... You know, whoever's, whoever's listening. Out you never show. know. Um Look, my theory is look. So let's say we have our free movement again. You know, players are allowed to get on, get on coaches, get on their flights, and they're allowed to go on their game, go to the games. Obviously, we've agreed that all games will be will be behind closed doors. There'll be no people there whatsoever, apart from the two teams and their and their staff, basically. And I think you'd have to minimise that staff down really to just maybe having your manager, your assistant, your doctor, your first team doctor, um, and the players. That that I I don't think you could go further than that. Really, you really have to minimise the numbers, and they would have to obtain to social distancing. Um, that that's the first part of it. How can you do that? How, how how can you do social distancing on a bench, for example, when you're interacting with players? You're trying to show them tactics on your iPad. You're trying to take them through warm ups, mm. this that, and the other. And even, even for me, like you know, what about like I don't know all the other backroom coaches because there's so many in the current day. I mean, there's not just an assistant and a couple of coaches. They've got like literally two rows, three rows worth of. A lot of them don't even get on the bench. They've got to sit in the stands, like right behind the bench. So totally. And we we we're not professionals, so we don't know exactly what the role is. But I'm sure the club, they're vital. Do you know what I mean? They must be like even kit men and people who do this and that. Yeah. Uh, there must be some roles which is difficult in their eyes to leave out. And I get what you're saying. You can obviously mitigate you can say all right it's not essential for you, to, for you guys to be here on match day but back to your original point social distancing between coaches in a match mm. day how is that feasible do you know what you you have put me on the spot there and and it's a very very good question how is it feasible i think it goes back to the i think it's it's a similar way that for example when to, to get to relate it back to myself um sorry mate uh, we we've had we've had a little video conference with the ceo and, and you know once once they've, pl- they've made a plan about us coming back to work and there's only a certain amount of percentage that will be coming back to work. Yes, we're all vital to the company running. But there's only going to be a certain amount of us coming back to work and we are going to have to be spread out. And it's already been detailed in what in, in, in the outline of us coming back to work here when I'm bringing it back to myself. So you, when you're looking at back to, back to the, football, the football season and how it could start, you could have players separated wearing masks at all times 
you can have a couple of players in the east and a couple of players in the west. No, I'm joking. But you could you could have you could <laughs> you could you could have yeah, yeah. you could have yeah. them you could have them separated. I think the kit man look he's he, the kit man or the kit lady, I don't know. Um they're very they're very important people. But um the very important people, but did he need does he or she really need to be there on match day? Probably not. You give you could you can make yeah, different right. scenarios that you know, you know, and work things around. I think the whole the whole scenario is gonna have to be changed. Um this is my theory though. My theory is that if 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 UEFA have given us this decision by the 25th of May, I believe it's the 25th off the top of my head or the 28th, that all European uh, uh clubs need to, sorry, uh divisions need to make a decision. And they have to fast track it and finish it all in the month of June, right? Or the month of July at the latest. But I'm talking about June here because I know a lot of contracts end on the 30th of June. The way you could do it. I mean, oh, sorry, just to, just to no, buy please. in that. Like I said, what, what's come out? What's come out of the Premier League meeting today? And again, it's uh, it's a potential date of restart if they return. Uh-huh. And they've said today, like June the 12th. Interesting. So how can you get? You know, in, le- in in just over half a month, how can you get in what two and a half weeks a full set of fixtures in se- in the sense of a, the rest of the season? That doesn't seem feasible. So, I I think personally, I think I think a lot of leagues will prior to prioritize their divisions ahead of UEFA's standings. Mm-hmm. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. No, that does. I don't think UEFA. I think UEFA. I think UEFA have just making some noise. I don't actually think that matters too much. I don't. I don't think mm-hmm. that really matters. I think each each league will worry about their own season finishing as opposed to what UEFA have to say about because one standalone tournament, however prestigious it is, it doesn't trump a league. Do you know what I mean where so many things uh, come into consideration, especially monetarily, um, in promotions, relegations, champions, etc. And I think there's ways around the Champions League, which is such a is such a mm-hmm. if you look in the scale of things, such an easier competition to manage as opposed to what the nine ten. 11, 12 remaining games of a division in Europe. No, no, I do, I do agree with you completely. And forgive me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding was that UEFA and UEFA actually have control over what the FA do with the league. I may be wrong here in what I'm saying, but I believe that they do have control. The, the, FA, the, FA, the FA have no, no, no say in the league. Okay, so okay. The, Premier league, the Premier League is its own entity. Right, you know okay. I, mean? I think they're actually more, more powerful than probably a lot of leagues in the in the whole of Europe right. and yeah UEFA may say one thing but I think Premier League generate more money and that they, 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 I think they'll they'll decide what they want to decide and right. they'll take guidance from UEFA 100% mm. you know and they'll they'll probably fall in line with it because they're not you know they're not uh, they're not outlaws if mm-hmm. you like but um, yeah I, I think I think it does come by nation by nation okay system well well in that case then if that is the case that's i think that's even better then we've got then we have a bit more time on our on our hands um the way the way the way i can see it working is look there are there is if i'm doing the maths correctly there are nine games left in in this season bar man city and bar aston villa to my memory yes bar man city and bar aston villa to my memory now what you could do is what you're looking at is playing games on the tuesday and the wednesday um, and then again on the Saturday and Sunday, depending on the club. So let's say, for example, the beloved Newcastle United playing on Tuesday, right? And then they play again on the Saturday. They would then play again on another Tuesday. Then they play again on the following Saturday, right? But it would have to be very, very strict rulings whereby, you know, we'd adhere to those 
only the only the most important people and the key people turning up to each game. And you could finish the season then in the likes of a potential four to five week time frame, because then you're looking at fast tracking it. Yes, it's going to be a massive toil on um, the players. But I think if this is the only choice that we have to finish the finish the season, I think that, you know, ultimately this is unprecedented times and we don't have we don't have any other choice on this front. If we do want to finish the season, we can't spread it out. Um, I think the likes of other competitions like the FA Cup may have to be scrapped completely. Um, and that does hurt me because I know that Newcastle was going to beat Man City, but that's a different situation. Um, but look, all jokes aside, um, all jokes aside, you know, this is this is my theory about how we can finish the league. And I do, ma- do understand Man City and Villa do have an extra game. So they do have the likes of 10 games to play. But maybe one week they would have to play three games on a Monday, a Thursday and a Sunday. And, and I know that that will be difficult for... for um, I know that will be difficult for um, a lot of a lot of teams, but um, that's my theory surrounding the uh, ending of the Premier League and how it's uh, possible. I, I don't know whether many bro, would agree with me, bro. That, no, bro. That's a really that's a really good point. I mean, I think you're spot on um, the way you mapped out in the sense of two to three games a week. It has to be done mathematically. You have to feasibly fit these games in in a short window of time. But I don't see in that in that sort of point of view. I don't see any teams complaining about that. Do you know what I mean? I think they'll all just get on with it. Um, that that doesn't really seem like the issue. The, the issue is obviously, like we said, is there enough time to do it? Do you know what I mean? Like based on government recommendations and all that, if their planning start date is June the twelfth, is that enough time to finish the season? So we, with the way you mapped out, we're looking at maybe a maximum, let's say four weeks. So we're going into July and stuff like that. And then when was the date you said that UEFA needed confirmation or when did they want to start their Champions League tournament, this and the other? Because obviously teams who are still in the Champions League, it's going to be another issue to get a fourth game into that week or a third game into that week. No, totally, totally. If they haven't already filled up with Premier League commitments. I, I may I may have made I may have made a slight error on that. I was under the impression that UEFA gave all domestic leagues in Europe until the 25th of May to make a decision about their own individual leagues. But that may be incorrect. It may be a decision about Champions no, that, League. That's spot on. No, no, that, that, that is spot on. Okay. That, that's spot on what you've said. That's why the decision of uh, this league... It's coming out May the seventh, so yeah, you're spot on. It's well before that deadline, right? Um, I have another wild theory about the Champions League, but maybe we shouldn't talk about that today because <laughs> I think we're trying to. No, no, no. Hit us. No, no. Hit us. No. We're intrigued. Okay. Go on. All right, all right, all right. So, he's <laughs> <laughs> easily swayed. Yeah, very <laughs> easily persuaded. Yes. Um, but yeah, um, for the ladies out there interested. Anyway, um. Going back, going back to the main, going back to the main point about the Champions League, um, what I could see happening, right, is you have a couple of round sixteen games left. I, you may know more about this, brother. So just tell me if there's a couple of. I think there's a couple of couple of games left on the round sixteen, but we have we have the quarterfinals and the semifinals and obviously the final. My theory was is that you could finish it off within a one and a half week time frame and fast track it like a tournament. Now this is this may be maybe what weird scenario. You choose a neutral venue, a country that's done very well and is opening up their economy, i.e. the likes of maybe Germany or Portugal. Probably Germany. Let's go with Germany because you know they you know they've hosted tournaments before. You know, you have 
But do you not do you not think they will be? Do you not think they'll already be sort of um, uh, busy with their fin- trying to finish their own league though? As and to also on top of that host a, an almost a mini World Cup or a U- European Championship, if you like to say. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. And the the theory behind finishing the Champions League was actually to do it after everyone's domestic season ended. But can you imagine the amount of turmoil on these players' legs to then go and give them another week and a half tournament where they're placing, playing the best players in the world? It's an unrealistic, unrealistic scenario. But the theory was is that, for example, you could finish the round 16 games on, on the Monday. Um, then after that, the quarterfinals would happen at a neutral venue and all the teams would play at the neutral venue and it have to be before each game, you'd have a game. You'd have a game at three, uh, at twelve o'clock. A game, a game again at four p.m. And a game at seven, and then maybe one late at night at ten. Now, this is a wild scenario. Uh, I, I do understand that, but you'd have to disinfect, disinfect the whole of the the, lo- the locker rooms, the changing rooms, the ground just before each game. You'd play the first quarter final, the second one, third one, and the fourth one all on the same day, or you could stagger it over a Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, and a Thursday. You then play the two semi-finals on the same day, one at 3 p.m., one at then at 7 p.m., and you'd have to do that on a Saturday, and then you'd host the final on a Monday night potentially, and you'd finish that tournament within a week. Um, it, it is wild and it is crazy, but maybe that is something to do if these if if these TV rights, you know, if the TV if the TV you know with the TV rights and they want it to finish, it could be a situation we can do. And do you know what would be amazing? Give it give it to the fans for free, you know. Let let let's put it let's put it on terrestrial TV, you know. Let let's let's showcase this, you know, to the world, you know. But um, then again, that's again that's something that's very unlikely. But this is my dream. This is my dream. Yeah, you got some big dreams. <laughs> I do there, have mate. some but, big. <laughs> now, you, now you, I I I I agree with your um your idea of having a condensed um condensed tournament because it can't always obviously be done over the space of two three months like it was planned to do it has to be done over the space of a couple of weeks um yeah the idea of neutral venues i think that's going to be the the way going forward especially like from what we've heard from the premier league today neutral venues seems to be um the way forward and i think with champions league tournament as well it has to be the case what you don't want is obviously like you said doing it mid-season because you don't want a lot of flights a lot of travel in between destinations where one day they've got a Champions League game, the next, you know, next day or whatever, they've got a league game. They need to make sure that it is all neutralised and it is separate, se- segregated. You want to get rid of your league season, then you want to continue the Champions League if it's feasible. And that's that. All right, so just, 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 just moving on. So we, we've thought about the possibilities and your, your lovely sort of theories of what would what would occur if we were to restart the season in the Premier League and Champions League? All right. Another question I'd like to pose to you. If, if for whatever reason, um, the Premier League decided to null and void their season, <laughs> what would the implications be? How would it work going into the next season? And uh, what does that mean for teams who are involved in either end of the table, if you like? So champions, relegation, mm-hmm. Talk about promote possible promotions from the from the EFL uh, from the Championship, etc. Mm-hmm. What's your what's your take on all that, Lucy? Um, so 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 to be very honest, it did cut out at the end there, but I did get a gist of what you said. Um, just to clarify, were you asking me if they were to scrap the season? How would we discuss the likes of you know the win potential winners, the relegation, and um, aspects along those lines? Is that correct? There. Okay. Yeah. All right. Perfect. 
Um, I do have a, a I do have another theory on this. Yeah, again, another theory to bring to the table, but um, it'd be good to debate this one. I think. Um, I think I think what ultimately would happen is you would leave the standings as they are. I think I think in terms of the main main talking point, um, you know, you would hand the title to Liverpool, um, but there will be that asterisk there against their name. Um, obviously would please United fans and Everton fans. Um, I think I think personally, if you scrapped it and said that no one's gonna win it at all, that would be extremely extremely harsh i i really don't think that's fair you know you you'd have to award them the title maybe similar to what league one have done in france with psg um mathematically yes liverpool haven't won the title they need to win they need six points from the next uh nine games um to mathematically win it i think when you're talking about the title i think you give it to them with the asterisks there next to it for the rest of history um and then when it comes to relegation that is a real sticky point i think with the relegation um i might contradict myself here we're going to award it to liverpool why wouldn't we relegate the likes of norwich villa um and i believe it's watford i think i might be wrong in saying watford are in the bottom three um i think i am yeah they are oh they are okay no they are they are are, um do you relegate them how is that going to work you know I think I think you award the title to Liverpool. You put an asterisk against their name. Um, you say it was not a completely completely finished season, and then what you do is you don't relegate any team. Obviously, Norwich fans will be ecstatic. Um, if you were to relegate relegate them now, where they are, Villa have a game in hand, so mathematically they can go above the relegation zone. I, I to my knowledge, um, so I don't think that's fair. But then what you're going to have is you're going to have Leeds and West Brom fans crying at the door of the Premier League saying, what's up with that? You know, they're going to want to come up. I think it's a real tricky scenario um, of, w- of what you can do, because I believe in all English leagues, there isn't a single team that's mathematically won the league or is mathematically relegated, apart from Bolton, who are in League One. Um, I think they're the only team that are mathematically relegated because obviously they went into administration earlier this year. Um, and then what happens? What happens there with that scenario? I think... To answer your question, to finalise, you give Liverpool the title, you put an asterisk against it saying they've won the league, right? In terms of the Champions League positions, right, you have have the teams where they are exactly now in the Champions League and then you go from there. Um, I'd love to hear your opinions on this one. I'd love to hear your opinions. Yeah, just... Well, first of all, um, I don't think there's any um, remit for them to say if we're nulling and voiding we're just going to take everyone as they are because it's not a fair scale, right? Because there are a lot of teams, or a few teams who have not played the same number of games as other people. So I think what they do is a simple calculation called points per game and they see where everyone ends up. And for the most part, that's going to basically show exactly where people end up on the table, where they currently are. But like you said, there's a few teams who've got played a game or two less or whatever, right? I actually done my own sums a, a couple of days ago just out of interest. And what I did to make it slightly slightly more technical, I actually split up the home and away games, right? So I looked at um, the home league table and the away league table, and I worked out the points per game for each club in that sense and also the goals scored and the goals conceded. Nice. From a, 
from a home, yeah, from a from a home and away league perspective. Then obviously I collated all that all those data, and I came out with some slightly different results as what we we're expecting. Because like you said, if we were to end it right now, you would have your Norwich, Aston Villa, and Watford in the bottom three, um, and the top four as mm-hmm. right. So there's not too much change. Doing those sums, like I said, um, the top four remains the same. Um, and in fact, I'm pretty sure the top nine or 10 remains the same. Oh, really? But anyway, yeah, it's quite interesting because it, it, like, like you said, it is pretty much going to be the same because most, most teams have played the same number of games. Um, but just this puts into perspective in terms of form away and away from home and home games. But the bottom three is where it changed because the bottom three, looking at home and away points per game differences, we actually ended up with a scenario where Norwich finished uh, 20th, Aston Villa 19th, and actually West Ham finished 18th with Watford escaping relegation in 17th. Wow. So that was really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, looking at, you know, these are all decimal places and shit. So it depends how far you want to go, how technical you want to get where the league want to take it, if they want to round it up, round it down, look at all the, you know, all the data as it is. And um, it can easily be, it can be interpreted in so many different ways. And that's the problem. It's no, there's no clear-cut answer, right? And I, I actually think the biggest issue um, is not the top end of the table. I think that's a given. I think any club in this country, however much you despise Liverpool or whoever, whichever teams are at the top or in the Champions League spots, I think you just got to be realistic, take your hat off to them because I think Liverpool is probably the easiest decision to make. I think that's so simple. I think, yeah, you're right. Mathematically, they haven't won it. But let's be honest, they are arguably one of the best teams we've seen in the Premier League history, right? The way they were going about this season, they were on par to be one of the best. They could have been the best. We never know. You know, we we might never know. We we may still know. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's the issue. I think that the the issue is, as per most seasons, a lot of the drama happens at the bottom. And that's also where a lot of the financial implications come into it. So the bottom three is the most intriguing. And also the top two in the championship is also very intriguing. But then, like you said, if you decide to promote Leeds and West Brom, what about the other, what, four plus maybe two or three teams who feel they got a chance at the playoffs? Totally. Because we've seen teams who come up by the playoffs in championship history coming up to the Premier League and they do better than teams who finish first and second yeah. I mean it's not a given exactly. you're the third third you know you're you're the worst team to enter the Premier League it, it's all different levels and it's, it's so many different so many different uh, situations which affect that so I don't know I, I just feel that if you look at all the country leagues which um, have sort of decided to null and void it like your France and Netherlands the first thing that's happened so and so team is the side tech league election mm-hmm. So and so team is a side to league election. Do you know what I mean? And it's just I feel like it's a a lo- oh well I'll say a win lose situation. Correct. So obviously someone's going to win from it, someone's going to benefit from it, but benefit from it. But um, it's going to be a lot of people who don't, and they're the ones who are going to be uh, sort of banging on the door saying this isn't right. So yeah, based on that, uh, your assessment on whether you think this strategy is easier or more difficult than actually trying to squeeze in the end of the season. Probably 50-50, isn't it, really? When you think about it. Well, yeah, they've they both got their pros, pros and cons to both of them. It's, it's so tough. 
it's hard to and this is why we said we we don't envy being any of these Premier League um, hierarchy people no. in charge I mean because it's actually not as easy as it, as it sounds no totally totally um, I think I think it's really interesting what you did there with the home and away as well and just looking at that looking at the form and things like that um, as you said you know you know, other 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 divisions have given the title. PSG's PSG's won the title, but then Ajax hasn't won theirs. It's 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 a it's a it's a real tricky one. It's almost as tricky as what you know uh, the government the you know the government have to do with what they do with lockdown and what they do with the rules surrounding the lockdown. It's like, do you do this? Do you do that? What's the repercussions? A lot of it comes down to risk assessment and you know where you go from there. Um, I think you know personally, my, neither me or you actually know the answer. Obviously, we have theories surrounding it. Um, it's a very, very difficult one. Um, ultimately, when it comes down to it, we'd love to see some football on the TV during lockdown, wouldn't we? We'd love a, we'd love a bit of football. Mate, honestly, from, from a selfish point of view, I could not think of anything better. You wake up in the morning, you sit, you twiddle your thumbs, you're like, all right, what am I going to do today? You might have had a few plans to do this, that and the other. But the, to have the to have the sort of, luxury of looking forward to a live Premier League game you know at the end of the day whether it's evening or afternoon or something like that that might that, that I, I just generally I, I, I've forgotten what that feeling feels like do you know what I mean yeah and it, it just seems yeah. incredible agreed agreed um, there you go but yeah what can I say what can I say yeah you're right it's a, um, it's, a, it's, a it's a tough question very, very tough question. So um, we'll have to wait and see what the uh, Premier League say about it, I guess, and uh, take it from there, right? Indeed. Um, awesome, awesome. All right, well, just just on uh, looking back at, when I say history, it's a recent history, but it seems like a lifetime ago. Just give us your general thoughts on um, this 2019-2020 season so far. Um, it seems, honestly, like a lifetime ago, but there's so many different so many different quirks and things that have happened, which have, um, there's so many different talking points, right? It's, it's probably a nice time to summarize all those, I guess, from your point of view. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, if we work it, if we, if we do it like that and we work it, work from it from top to bottom, I think, you know, first talking, talking point would probably be Liverpool, you know, winning the Champions League last year, um, under Jurgen, um, Klopp. And obviously now going into this season, you know, I personally thought they'd go unbeaten the whole year. Um, the way they were just the way they were winning, you know, it reminded me of of the times. And forgive me when I say this to all you United fans, it reminded me of the times of Sir Alex when they would win in the eighty seventh minute, the eighty fourth minute. You just knew they were going to get a result regardless of anything that would happen. Um, it was it's pretty outstanding. That does bog down to, you know, how Jurgen has really, really, really made this team his own. I believe in the last four or five years he's been there. Um, the type of manager that I personally, if I was ever a footballer, would love to play for and you play your heart out for that gentleman. Um, it's very, very interesting um, what he's been able to do there with obviously the press and how he high presses his teams. You know, the work rate of some of these players, you know, the lots of, likes of Sadio Mane, Giorgi Wijnaldum, uh, Wijnaldum um, you know, and the way of Firmino, the way the way that they really get under team skin and the fullbacks coming from the back, Robertson and, and Trent, it's um, it's it's astound, outstanding, really. And let's not forget the best defender in the world, of course. Um, 
if we're talking about Liverpool, that's 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 exactly how I feel about them and the, the current thoughts of this season. I really didn't expect it to be that that dominant. Um, I would argue that they have dominated the season more than I've ever seen any other team do before. And that may sound outrageous, but I would say that they really have. Last season, yes, they only lost one game again, and that was to City. Um, but City were there right with them, peg to peg. But this season's been a different kettle of fish. A different, different kettle of fish. Um, so yeah. Um, in terms of the, uh, in terms of the uh, other um, other teams, if we were to look at the top four, I think let's let's obviously talk about the second team place, Man City. Obviously, they've been they've been a model of consistency for the last um, last four to five years. Obviously, winning the title last year, you know, finishing in the top four consistently. Pep Guardiola at the wheel. Um, the brand of football that they play at times is just astonishing. Um, and the way they keep possession and the way they pass the ball around is unbelievable. Obviously, that bogs down to the star player, KDB, Kevin De Bruyne. But oh, it's not just about KDB as well. They have a lot surrounding that. Um, and it does look like that everyone wants to play for Pep. Um, I personally haven't seen the Amazon documentary that he did. Um, but I've heard good things. And he's another player that you would play your heart out for as well. Um, bear in mind that, you know, he's not the most liked person for some people. But, um, you know, Man City, yes, they've done well, but they have really slipped up at times as well this season. You know, they've had they've had some they've had some bad defeats at time. Uh, not bad in terms of scoreline, but some real surprises. Um, so, yeah, no shock to see them, obviously, second. Um, and then we're moving down the table. Obviously, you know, I'd like to talk about Leicester and what Brendan Rodgers has done. I think the way he's drilled his his side, I will be honest with you. When when I found out Brendan was going there, I, I ridiculed them. To be honest, I thought it was. I thought I've always not been a big fan of Brendan. I thought he's a bit of a clown. Um, but uh, why is that? Why is that? Just out of interest. I, 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 just just out of interest. I don't know. I I don't have an answer. To be honest, I I just really think that he coming from Celtic. You know, I really thought. It was a bit of a scummy move what he did. He left before the season had finished, right? They were going to win the league. They were on for a treble. You know, I don't respect a, I don't respect a manager like that. So maybe I had a negative aspect of him from the get-go. Um, but obviously it's proved worthwhile with him um, and what he and what he's been able to do. What, what he's been able to do with, with that team. But do you not think that there could there could have been there could have been a situation where he was sort of told this is sort of your chance to get back in the Premier League? We're not going to hire an interim caretaker manager to take us to the end of the season. We're looking at the here and now. If you want this job, come and take it, basically. Yeah, and and obviously, I think that's what was presented to him at the table, and he couldn't say no. Uh, I think we all just remember that one famous season that he had with Liverpool, with obviously Suarez and Sturridge, um, and obviously Stevie G. Um, and, and and again, but not just that. Also, what he did with Swansea, right? Also, what he did with Swans totally. before that. Totally. You know, that's a very good point. That's something that I do, you know, that's easily forgotten about as well, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think with with him, with him, he's done a fantastic job with Leicester. And obviously that boils down to how their team plays. And they play some great football at times. I've seen them absolutely destroy some teams. And, you know, I remember them I remember them being, being obviously, you know, talk about Newcastle here, you know, smashing us out of the park 5-0. Um, and it was embarrassing. Um, and then doing us doing us again with St. James's and they beat us 3-0. But um, 
just to move on slightly from Brendan, I think Leicester done a great job, but I would like to give a massive shout out to one of one of actually the most underrated midfielders, in my opinion, of Premier League history. Um, doesn't get enough recognition, but that's Mr. Frank Lampard. I think what Frank has done done at Chelsea is is fantastic. Now you you talk about the aspect of of him just having you know a, you know him having a few kids to work with. He, he he does have a few kids that he's working with, but he's brought the best out of them. I'll be very honest with you. I didn't know who Mason Mount was before the start of the season. Um, I wasn't familiar with what he was capable of doing. Obviously, I knew who Tammy was, but he's brought the best out of Tammy Abraham as well by his injuries. Um, you know, great players like Kovacic. My God, Kovacic's season has been unbelievable this year. What he's done on the ball in, in, in midfield. Yeah. I, I have to, I have to, I have to agree with you. Kovacic, in my opinion, has been Chelsea's best player. Totally. Um, I, I do think Chelsea, however well they've done with kids and sort of changing the narrative of what they usually do um, during the Abramovich era in terms of spending big and you know competing with the uh, the biggest clubs and obviously they are a big club now yeah. uh, in Premier League era. But I also do think they've been very, very fortunate. I do think they've been fortunate in the sense of the other big teams around them have basically not really challenged them in the sense of not one-to-one games, but every time Chelsea have slipped up, which has been a lot of times this season, they haven't capitalised on that. It seems that no one wants to gain that third and fourth spot. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And it, 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 however much I enjoy watching them, because I actually think the way they play football now is really entertaining because it's so attacking and so fluid. Defensively in the transition, I don't just mean the back four or back three, however they play at times. The transition is is really, it's a real concern watching them do that. And it, it's strange to see, especially someone who's been drilled in that role by so many different managers um, and someone so experienced. Uh, so that that's my one concern. And I think if the Premier League season was to continue, especially if you see other teams who are competing, if one of them, two of them was to get into decent form, which they should be, like your Uniteds, your Tottenham's, even your Arsenal's, and obviously not forgetting the great teams who are challenging as well, like Sheffield United and Wolves, mm-hmm. I think they could be in real trouble. And um, that's one thing, one one concern I have about Chelsea. How much I've enjoyed seeing them and seeing the youth sort of flourish uh, this season. Uh, I've had real concerns um, with, with their transition transitional play in defence and a lot of times also lack of goals. Do you know what I mean? Like you see them pepper the goals sometimes, but really you look at the end score sheet, they've done nothing. Yeah. So there's a lot of concerns for Chelsea, I see. But again, for someone so experienced as a manager, you're, I absolutely agree with you. Hats off to him. Hats off to his team. And um, yeah, long may it continue. It's, it's good to watch. Definitely. Definitely. That, you know, obviously, you may, you obviously know a bit more more than me on that front. But, the, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, I just had to give a shout out to Frank Lampard there, you know, and just what he's done in his first, first three season, obviously, uh, in the Premier League as a manager. Um, Fair play. You know, you know, let, 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 let's move on to um, let's move on to your your thoughts on um, Tottenham, for example. Spurs. They're obviously they were Champions League, Champions League finalists last year under Pochettino. Yeah, the Champions League finalists under Pochettino last year. Pochettino was obviously a it was a real light coach, I think, throughout the league. Just generally, his philosophy and the way he had brought that team up. Um, you know, really, I think excelling beyond their capabilities and their stature. Uh, how do you feel it's gone since the change in Mourinho's coming to fruition? 
Yeah, to- totally. Um, you know, with the situation um, with um, what happened with Pochettino, it's such a, it's such a um, uh, you know an interesting scenario. I'll be very honest with you; I didn't hear all of it there at the end there, um, mate. But um, it's an interesting scenario. You know, you take a team to the Champions League final um, at the end of the at the end of last season. Um, and then obviously to be fired within the first three months of the next season, I would I don't think anyone would have would have would have thought that would ever have happened. Um, you know, and I do have some friends that are Spurs fans, um, and surprisingly, a lot of them actually had enough with with Mopo and Pochettino at the wheel. Um, very very interesting, you know, because you know I didn't I personally think he's a fantastic manager. Um, what he's what he's done. Um, but they were really getting bored with his brand of football. Um, you know, then again, they have invested money year on year and they've done well. You know, they've got they've, they've got Ndombele this year. You know, he's been class. Obviously, he's been riddled with a few injuries. You know, La Celso has been very, very good. And they, you know, they want to wrap him up now from I believe he was on a loan with a move to buy. Um, you know, one thing that does happen is they do seem to get injuries every single year. You know, Sir Harry every year. He's getting every year. He's you know he's having a few a few injury problems. Problems. Son, you know he gets his niggles here and then. Even though I think they're both absolutely world class. Um, I think it's an interesting scenario with Jose now uh, coming in. Um, Jose, you know he's a proven manager. He's been there, done it. He's done it for years. He's arguably the second greatest manager of all time. People would say after Sir Alex. Um, it's a tricky scenario. What's what, what, what's going on with Spurs? You know, the expectation would be for them to jump back into the top four next year. You know, invest again um, with the upcoming season. Um, they've obviously got the new ground um, that they got this year. Um, so maybe they were in the year of tra- transition, and you know, maybe it was you know a difficult scenario for them. Um, but yeah, with with them, I would I would if I was a Spurs fan, I'd ho- I I would be hoping for a lot better next year from them. Um, and and obviously, you know, the way that they, they played football at times because they did concede very easily. Uh, in particular, a game that stands out to me is obviously Wolves are a fantastic team. Nuno is an amazing manager. They have a great team there. But the way the way, the way Wolves came to Spurs, I believe, in the month of February or Jan, they, they won the game 3-2. Um, and don't get me wrong, it's very open. But they're defensively, they're so, they, they were just so leaky. Um, and that's something that has to be addressed um, when it comes to, comes to next season. Um, and moving forward. But um, if I was a Spurs fan, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I think with what happened with the neighbours, when I say the neighbours just down the road with Arsenal this year, that's an even more interesting point. Um, they are, you know, this is the first time in a while that I've seen Arsenal in our history of, of our lives, you know, move from being the second best team and third best team in, in the league down to not even reaching the top four comfortably. Um, they are not what they used to be. And there's no offence to those fans in northeast of London. Um, Arsenal are not the team that they once were. Um, and it's quite sad to see from their point of view because the brand of football that they played for, for many years was astonishing. Um, but there's those positivities with Arteta there um, and how things how things are going. Um, now, again, whether they have the money and the capital to invest alongside the likes of the other teams is a different thing. Um, but yeah, that's my personal, personal opinion. I would, I'd love to give a shout on this podcast to Chris Wilder um, and Chef United. What, what, what? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what, what he has done with his team, right? 
being promoted from the championship, finishing second last year, is 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 actually amazing. You know, you're looking at a team here that have conceded the least amount of goals um, just after Liverpool, right? No one, no one, no one in the country would have bet on that, right? Um, unless you were Sheffield United, not, um, or you were you were you were unwell. Um, I don't, I don't think, I, don't, I personally don't think anyone would have seen this happen. What he's done with his defence is amazing. His tactics, having obviously the three defenders and the two wing backs, um, is is amazing. You've got the likes of George 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 Baldock, you know Jack Jack O'Connell, Dean Henderson, you know Chris Basham, John Egan. These, these are players. No one knew the names of them. But but they they are they are beating teams in the upper upper half of the table and the bottom half and they're winning consistently and not conceding goals. So I have to give a big shout out to Chris Wilder, um, who after probably Jurgen Klopp is my manager of the year, hands down, and it would probably be hard to disagree with that. And if he gets them into the Champions League and if the season restarts and he does that, you probably have to give him manager of the year, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, I mean, to be honest, even if he gets them in the Europa League, that's a crazy achievement, right? Totally. Yeah. All right. Well, we've talked about a lot of clubs. Uh, we haven't talked about all of them and no disrespect to all the others. Uh, we have do have a limited time here as well. Um, let, let's move on to your club, your sort of life and passion. Um, Toonami, yeah? Away the lads. Well, what's your take on their season? There you go, yeah. Whatever you said, yeah. Let's hear your take on it. <laughs> um, my take on the season, well... Firstly, for viewers that don't obviously know who I am, I'm, I can be quite a negative Newcastle United fan. Um, I don't normally think that we're going to win many games. Um, this year, with Newcastle, right, just to give a history to someone, we're, we're a real up and down team. You know, we, we, will, we will win against the top four teams and then next week we will go ahead and lose away, um, to lose, a, lose at home to some of those lower half team tables. You know, and we're part of that lower half anyway as it is. But, we're real up and down side, but I think you know Bruce. You know he's not the most favourable person that has that came to the team. You know, obviously, you know ex Sunderland manager. Um, obviously, he's a Geordie himself. You know, so you know he's close to his heart. Um, but he doesn't strike me as someone that you know you, you get excited about. Um, I do think what he's done is is great. One thing that I will give him massive credit for is every year um, our defence is so leaky and so shaky. But this season, you know, it really hasn't been our centre-backs that have been been the catalyst for disaster. You know, uh, he, we really do have a good bunch of players that are playing in defence there in the centre-back with the likes of Jamal Lascelles, Fabian Shah, uh, Fernandez, uh, Lejeune, Bars, injuries, And obviously, Martin Zabravko is arguably one of the best goalies in the league, hands down. Um, and that's not me being biased in one, one sense at all. Um, I think what he's done there... I actually, I, Sorry, no. just a buy, and I actually agree with that. No, I was just going to say, I actually agree with that. I think um, knowing Rude for the team that he plays in, um, when you see is the amount of saves he makes and the performances he has for the majority of the time, I've just stressed the majority because I've seen a few blunders like most yep, of them yep. do. But I actually, uh, I actually really think he's a good goalkeeper, Dubravka, definitely. Yeah, definitely. No, he has made some mistakes this year, um, and I've noticed that as well. Um, you're totally right. Um but yeah, just the way Bruce has really kind of wound the fence down is good. I think we've, you know, Dubravka's had some of the highest clean sheets um, potentially in the league. I think uh, maybe in the top 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 seven at least of teams in the league. Um, you know, we 
defensively, you know, we haven't we haven't conceded too many goals. You know, our games normally, you know, they're very low scoring. Attack attackingly is where we've lacked that aspect. Um, I think we really struggled with something for a long part of our season with having Joe Linton up top on his own. Obviously, Joe Linton was a player we bought uh, in the summer for about 43-odd mil. Um, high expectations from him, 23-year-old coming to the league. Um, but obviously, you know, you have to sit, look back and, you know, it's all about the money at the end of the days. But, you know, he he, he didn't hit the ground running. Um, I personally have been to a few games this year. I've seen him play live. Um, and You know, I do like his work rate and his energy. I think he holds up the ball well. But um, ultimately, when it comes down to that striker, it's really about what goals you score and that's what you look at. So there was a real frustration with the Monster, a lot of fans about what Joe Linton could do and how we could play attackingly. Um, there has been some real bright sparks to the season. Um, in the likes of uh, Alanson Maximum, who I think is absolutely, absolutely great player. Oh, mate, I, I, I've got to jump in. This please, guy, please. in my opinion, he is, he is absolutely dynamic. <laughs> He is so much fun to watch, yeah? Honestly, yeah. He, not in a rude way. Like, half the time, he doesn't know what he's going to do in the sense of he's got so much pace and skill, he'll, like, drive the ball maybe 50 yards or up the pitch or something, and then he'll suddenly, like, scratch his head and doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> and that's maybe the, the issue. Yeah. Then. Like, the final product, the final pass, the final cross, whatever it may be. But as an actual, you know, physical presence and his skill, his technical ability... He seems so exciting to watch. I'm not going to lie. That guy I actually enjoy watching a lot. Yeah. And when he does get the ball, he does He does put fear in defenders. I remember I remember being at Arsenal away in the away end this season. Um, bear in mind, we did lose the game 4-0. It was Arsenal's biggest win of the year. Um, so Maximum drove some fear into those defenders for Arsenal. Um, whenever he got the ball, he was a live wire. Um, and that's a real bright spark, bright spark. Sorry, And that ties in probably with... The, not the resurgence, but the um, the coming the coming through of Miggy Almiron. Um, Almiron Almiron has turned the corner a little bit. You know, he's always a hard worker for Newcastle, but there was an argument. You know, he's not good enough. He's come from the MLS. Um, you know, and he you know he's not going to make it. But he has turned the corner, and his work rate is outstanding. Outstanding. Um, is he world class? No, but is he someone that can do well for Newcastle United? Yes, and he's proved that through hard work. Um, and I really am a big fan of him and the way he started to play. Um, overall, in terms of what, just to wrap up what you said, in terms of what Brucey's done, you know, we're 13th in the table. You know, we were always floating. You know, we, there's always a bit of worry. Are we going to slip into the relegation zone? Are we not? And we've managed to maintain ourselves above it. So, you know, credit to Bruce in that sense of the matter. Um, we haven't been good enough to break into that top 10. Um, but then the gap, the gap, the gap is always so close, you know, um, to the to the top, um, the top ten and the top six, top seven. Now, it, it, it the league has really changed, you know, in the last one year and a half, it really has changed. You know, the gap between those teams is so minute now, um, and I, th I think you might, you probably agree with that. There's such fine margins now in in football, um, bar obviously Liverpool and Man City this year, and maybe Leicester. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. All right, so Roy, one one question which has been uh, dominating the news over the last few weeks is the uh, the takeover for Newcastle United. Uh, for our listeners who don't really know too much about it, would you mind shedding some light, pardon the pun, on that um, whole situation? Well, well, it's Christmas comes early. Christmas come early, hasn't it? Christmas has come early <laughs> to the northeast and also to the northwest of London, where I am right now. Um, 
basically essentially to all those it's <laughs> very 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 specific <laughs> isn't it <laughs> to all those fans um all those people that don't really know what's going on and you obviously heard about it essentially we're going to win the league no all jokes aside um the takeover um is being done by a group of investors um being uh, being backed by a Saudi Arabian wealth fund um this has been headed up by a lady. Um, her name is Amanda Amanda Staveley. She's a British businesswoman. Uh, she's from Yorkshire. Um, she's had she's had connections for many years with Middle Eastern investment investors. Sorry, um, Staveley was obviously she was actually famously involved with Sheikh Mansour's um, purchase of Man City, which happened obviously in two thousand and eight. So she has that kind of experience um, with dealing with the Premier League teams in that sense. Um, to give a to give a financial background to it her her firm is called pcp capital partners um and they have the financial backing of the saudi arabian public investment fund and according to reports and according to what's going on um you're looking at a takeover of newcastle united of 300 million pounds um now I don't want to get my hopes up too much because we have been. This has happened twice before with with Mike Ashley, um, and you know we have become the laughing stock again of the league. Um, but this time round, it's looking very, very foolproof that it's going to happen, bar a few things that may stop it. And if it does happen, what will happen is she will have a ten percent stake in the club. Um, the uh, the Saudi public investment will have an eighty eighty percent stake. And then 10% will come from another British property investor called the Rubin Brothers, who are, which I researched today and actually found out they're the second most wealthiest family in the UK. Um, ultimately, that's the background of it. And um, yes, it does excite me. <laughs> there we go. We love excitement in the shed. Definitely. Anyway, all right, mate. Uh, you've given us some great views and thoughts on the whole season as a whole. And, yeah. uh, uh, we appreciate it very much. I say we get cracking on to what everyone's looking forward to in the Premier League 11 of the season. All right? How does that feel for that you? That feels completely fine. Um, I'm I'm fully on board with that and I'm down. Can I just say one point, though? Ending the devil's 13-year reign of hell, suffering and torture in the Northeast is the best thing that will happen from this takeover. And I just want to say that on this podcast here today. Well, there you go. What stays in the shed, what, what, what's said in the shed doesn't stay in the shed. <laughs> so, yeah, feel free to say what you like. <laughs> All right, awesome. Um, <clears throat> sorry. So I've got, I've got to admit, I had, I had some real issues trying to do this team. I had so many different players for like literally each position that I struggled a lot with, right? And I mean a lot. So I'm I'm gonna ask if I can go first because I actually don't think I have an eleven. I think I have about three different okay. players for each position, and I want you to basically you know put me in line. So Please. if you don't mind, I'm gonna run through my my eleven first and all my sort of um, notes for why players should and shouldn't be in there, and then we'll look at yours if you don't mind. And um, like like we said from from your rules, we'll uh, we'll address the discrepancies and come up with a. A, a, a joint one. Yeah, I together. think that's a good idea. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to run over the rules again, just in case anyone didn't hear it? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so we we Roe Ro decided to to test me with a game of a Premier League eleven of the season, 
And um, the rules were similar to the fantasy football rules. You're only allowed three players from each club to, uh, to enter your team of the season. And we had to stick with a 4-3-3 formation, which we sort of decided uh, beforehand. So, yeah, I'm going to take it away, all right? Please. Here we go. All right. So goalkeeper was a very tricky situation because I looked at um, looked at different sort of things and I thought, all right, number of saves, number of clean sheets, what type of team they play with, you know, the quality they've got at the back and defensively, etc. And I kind of had um, I kind of had different different ideas. I had sort of Nick Pope. Yeah, he's I think he's a top tops. Uh, he's leading the charts in terms of clean sheets. Yeah, Dean Henderson, who's smashing it. And you had Allison. And one thing about Allison, however well he's doing, obviously, however good his defense is, he did miss a quite a portion of the season for injury. Um, but based on all that, I, I think I've gone for Pope from Burnley. So Pope from Burnley is my um my goalkeeper. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Right back. Yeah. So right back is arguably my most difficult position. Um mm. <laughs> So I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of Ricardo Pereira. I think he absolutely smashed it this season, and you can tell from where Leicester are the league. And I looked further into his stats, and I looked at the amount of tackles he's made. Uh, apparently, he's made 119, which tops the charts at any any player in the league. Um, not follow, followed not not far behind by a certain Wan Bissaka of Man United, who I think's done really well this season as well, coming into United. Big club, he's literally done done the deed so easily. And um, I think those two players have done so well. But obviously, you have to look at the moneymaker. You have to look at the person who's banging in the assists, um, not top of the charts, but for a right back, fucking going, being second in the, the whole the whole league is pretty impressive. And that's obviously Trent. Um, so I'm literally torn here. I don't know. I don't know if I don't choose Trent, whether there'll be an uproar or mm. not. Um, but I would love to put Pereira in it. And um, based on that, because I think Liverpool have such a good squad, obviously, this season, I'm uh, very much, and I know this, controversially going to leave out Trent because I actually don't think he's a right back. I think he should be doing a Gareth Bale. Like he started at Tottenham, at, or obviously before Tottenham, yeah. came to Tottenham as a left back and moved forward to be one of the best attackers in the world at, at, you know, during that time. So okay. I'm going to actually leave Trent out of that right back position. Controversial, I might add. Uh, my two centre-backs, uh, Soyuncu uh, for Leicester and Virgil van Dijk for Liverpool. Yep. Um, there's some special mention. I really enjoyed Connor Cody's performances this, year's, this year, Willy Bolly, um, players like that. Um, Left-back, um, again, a position I struggled with. I think players like Ben Chilwell have done real well. Uh, Lucas Dinier, especially under Ancelotti, has done real well as well especially the way they play with those crosses coming in and Calvert-Lewin having a resurgence because I've never been a fan of him. But under Ancelotti, he's, he looks like a completely different player. So you've got to respect those crosses and how he's performed. But um, I'm going to go for Robertson and that's purely because, and I hate to say it, it's purely because I haven't gone for Trent. So I feel like there's an opening in that back four. So I think three of those back four uh, in, in terms of Liverpool players are arguably the best in the league. So I've gone for Robertson, Andy Robertson, Captain Scotland, and Liverpool left back uh, for my team. Okay. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> Three midfielders again. <laughs> I struggle so much, mm. right? <laughs> so much. But starting right in the centre of midfield, right? Um, 
if on any other given season, and I mean this over the last, you could probably say over the last three, four seasons, someone like Kante or Fernandinho, I would have had them in like at the drop of a hat. But Fernandinho has been playing out of position this season. He's been playing basically centre-back. Kante has been injured for literally majority of the season. So it's obviously very unfair and difficult to put them in there. In there. One player who I would put who is probably uh, in that sort of uh, same same style as them too, uh, but doing also really well this season is Wilfred Ndidi. Uh, for Leicester again, um, I think he's smashed it and uh, he's basically going to be the the, the, the central central my whole midfield there, right there. Um, the other two players surrounding him, uh, I want to say special mentions to, um, it's very difficult to say, but I've left them out, uh, Jack Grealish and James Madison. Um, Jack Grealish actually is actually played a lot further forward this season. He, he is a centre midfielder by trait, but he's played basically in the, in the front line, uh, the top three um, for, the majority, for, for, for this season for Villa. So I've left him out of that. And uh, Madison, yeah, he's good, but um, I might be biased, but I'm, I'm going to go for Kovacic from Chelsea and Kevin De Bruyne uh, for Man City. Uh, next end, did he? All right, you still with me? Uh, there you go, you're on mute, but yeah, you're still with me. I am with you. <laughs> <laughs> you're with me, good, good, good lad. All right, and finally, my top three... And this, oh my days, this is so tough. It is. Isn't um, it? All right, I think, I think um, Mikel Arteta, Mikel, Mikel, Mikel Arteta has actually helped me um, by actually showing me a second position, which Aubameyang can play really well, right? And that left wing position, he has done so well, <laughs> and that's actually helped me so much because obviously being one of the top goal scorers in the season and uh, just an absolute beast in front of the goal. Um, I'll gladly put him in my top three, uh, front three. And so I've lobbed him on the left-hand side of the attack. Um, right-hand side is, uh, how many Liverpool players have I got? I've got two, yeah. Mm. Is a toss between Mane and Salah. Um, if you look at the scoring chart, Salah's top in that. Uh, Mane's not too far behind. If you look at assists, Mane's slightly ahead of him. Um, it's a toss of a coin who you prefer, do you know what I mean? Um, for me, personally... I'm going to put Mane up there and people may not agree with me, but I'm just going to put Mane up there. I think, I think I miss, I, I know Liverpool midfield is strong, but I'm happy with my midfield and I feel I need another a Liverpool attacker in there. So I'm going to choose Mane over Salah personally. Um, I, I know it's this season, but just the back end of last season as well, how well he done and sort of unsung hero he was. I'm going to, I'm going to love him that team. And finally, I think one of the hardest decisions for me, the central striker, Sergio Aguero or Jamie Vardy. Um, based on pure numbers, Vardy's obviously killing at the moment. Aguero, he seems to always get injured at parts of the season every year. Like, I, I, I think I'm right in saying he's never on the golden boot, but he's just a player who's an absolute finisher, right? And I would love him in my team. Absolutely love my team. And Vardy, yeah, he's had the resurgence because... Don't get me wrong, since Ranieri left, he's not been the same player. Brendan's obviously revitalized him. Um I'm I'm gonna go for Aguero personally, and you might find that harsh, but mm. there we go. That's my uh, eleven of the season. <clears throat> I mean yeah, so um that that's you know, it's it's very hard to argue with that team. I think I think when it came down to it, I thought this would be easy. 
Um, but it's but it's but it's really it's really Definitely not. not easy, was it? It's really not when you limit it yeah. to those three players um, from one team. You know, if we if we didn't limit it, Absolutely. you know, it could be a lot. It'd be a lot more easier. Um, and it was kind of interesting. Hundred percent, man. Yeah, I really like. I really yeah, like I mean, your team. Like, like, really like your team. Yeah, you know, you know the points I made like about Fernandinho and Kante. I genuinely, I, I cannot, I can't fathom a team without any of them because I think they're a staple in the Premier okay. League, right? But obviously, this season hasn't worked based on their fitness and positionally. Totally. Um, but other, uh, looking at other players who I wanted to make a mention, a quick mention yeah, of, like Ishmael Asar, who was like Watford's, um, I think, record signing. I was actually a big fan of him before he signed for Watford and I was so excited to see him. He started the season so slow, uh, which I don't blame for because he was under two different managers. But under Nigel Pearson, you can actually see his qualities. He's done so well, literally so well. And Decore as well, who's actually been pushed up the field uh, by Pearson. He's he's really done well as well. Uh, Bernardo Silva, we've seen him coming in January. Uh, he looks a player. And, you know, Rashford, if he hadn't got injured, it would be really interesting to see if he had fit into the team because his form really, really started taking off. But anyway, that's my team. Um, let's hear Rohan's and then we shall try and make a collated combined team and see what happens. Yeah, definitely. Um, can I just say to some of the viewers that... Um, Myself and uh, my mate over here did not have um, any collaboration on this whatsoever. Um, and this is something we totally did, uh, obviously, from our separate houses in lockdown. And uh, we're obviously going to come through it together. But it's just surprising to hear um, the gentleman's team first because um, there are some similarities. Um, but anyway, um, if can I just say before you start? Of course. You met you, you, yeah. I get what you're saying. We done it completely and totally independently. You set the challenge. We decided on rules together. You done it from your house. I done it from my shed. All right, that's the one clarification I need to make. Right, <laughs> this is shed life. We don't do houses here. We only do sheds. So apologies. Appreciate you your, your clarification. No, no apologies re- required. But um, once the slotdown is all over, I'll invite you to the shed and um, we'll give the the listeners a real face to face conversation. Right. All right, take it away, bruv. All right, so um, in goal, um, you know, this was one of the less harder decisions for me personally. Um, there were a similar number of players that um, obviously you've mentioned there. Um, special shout-off, obviously, to Nick Pope, um, the most number of clean sheets this season. Um, you know, in my argument, I think he should be starting for England ahead of uh, Mr Pickford, who I don't actually rate whatsoever, no disrespect. Um, and then, um, obviously, again, as you said, Alisson. Alisson, obviously, top two goalie in the world, hands down. Um, injuries, you know, were a big issue. Obviously, at the start of the season, Adrian came in. And the same thing happened, obviously, when they lost to Atletico recently as well. Um, so I couldn't put him in. Um, I did want to make two other special mentions uh, to, obviously, my man, Martin Dubravka, um, and especially Crystal Palace's goalie, Vincent Geiter. Um, who's actually had a quite an astounding season when you look at him from a stat-based point of view. Um, but when it when it came down to it, I couldn't leave this gentleman out, and that's um, Dean Henderson in goal. Um, now I don't know if nice, nice. I don't know if you want to debate now about who we put in the team, or you want me to run through my team first. Um, but I'd leave that up to you. No, let, 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 well, you know, why don't you run through your team? I'm I'm writing down here your eleven next to mine, and we'll we'll, we'll debate the discrepancies between us. Uh, just between our teams at the end, yeah? So run Perfect. for it, man. That's a good choice. I like Perfect. that one. Now, um, 
I'll move on to uh, right back next. Um, now, with right back, obviously, you know, if I could have three players from uh, more than three players from any team, this would be an easy decision. Um, but for me, um, it really boils down to um, whether I have three players here. And out of those three players, you know, it's the likes of Ricardo Pereira, um, Aaron Mambasaka, AWB, and obviously Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, because it came down to the maximum amount of three players per team, um, and this will this will show when I go through my rest of my team, I've chosen um, over here Aaron Wambasaka, AWB, at right back. Um, this guy is um, outstanding. Um, he has come into this United team, and honestly, he has put players in his pocket for fun. Um, his defensive skills is unbelievable. His pace, his work rate, um, you know, I would love him to see start. I would love to see him start for England um, if the in the UEFA's next year in the European Championship. Um, I I I personally think you know obviously the argument's going to be there for Trent. Trent has had an amazing season, twelve assists. You know um, he's created Liverpool's most created chances um, for the team, I believe, as well. Um, to leave him out was really really difficult. But when I had a look at the balance of the teams. Um, and that goes on to what the next the next position that I'll go into. I didn't have a choice, and the reason that I had to put AWB ahead of uh, Ricardo Pereira is purely because AWB is a better defender, um, in my opinion personally, and um, his work rate is outstanding. Um, so for me, it's Aaron Wambasaka at right back. Um, I will move on to left back next, just because it makes sense of what I'm tying in here. Um, I've gone with um, well, sorry, special mention um, to Ben Chilwell. Um, you know, who's had a great season. He's probably going to be England starting left back for a while now. Um, but when you look at it, there isn't anyone else but Andy Robertson. You 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 can't have you can't have anyone else but Andy Robertson starting in that left back position. Um, this kind of ties on to the reason why I've unfortunately left Trent out of my team um, and put AWB in because the margins that you have, the differences that you have between Chilwell and Robertson compared to AWB and Ricardo Pereira. And Trent, the margins are a lot closer. Hence why I went for that reason there and put Robertson at left back. My two centre-backs, um, um, I'd like to make give a special mention here to um, uh, Jack O'Connell um, and Chris Basham for Sheffield United. I know I keep going on about it, but Chris Wilder literally is a magician uh, in disguise. Um, what what they've done there is, is amazing. So it's real special mention to Jack O'Connell, Chris Basham. You know, they've played majority of every single game bar one. Um, and their defensive record is outstanding, even better than Liverpool's in itself. Um, and then also special mention to um, Evans for Leicester, um, who's been a model of consistency under Brendan Rodgers. And also um, some people give him a bit of stick. I too myself, but Harry Maguire has played every game this year, every single minute of every single game. Um, Man, United, Man United do get generally a lot of stick, I find, if you're not a United fan. Um, but I will give a big special shout out to him. But my two centre-backs, Without a question, the best defender in the world, Virgil van Dijk. And um, similar to my friend, Solunchu. Um, and the reason that I went went behind that, that went went with that um, centre-back partnership is that, and this is going to sound outrageous, I kind of compared it to the likes of Ferdinand and Vidic. Solunchu reminds me of a powerhouse, a tough, no-gritty defender, no-nonsense defender, for, um, similar to the likes of Vidic. And, you know, you've got Rio there, who's similar to Van Dyke, passing defender, you know, absolutely world-class. And that's why I've gone with those two this season um, in, in defence over um, the likes of the others. Um, 
so yeah, that wraps up my defence there for you. Um, Mate, you know what? That's pretty good. We've already got um, three out of five similar players. I know. So I'm, 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 I'm feeling better about my choices. Yeah, I, I was genuinely shocked. Good. So I'm I'm glad that we've come to that mutual. Well, say mutual, obviously mutual. There still to be decided on the right back potentially, but yeah, um, and goalie. We'll see. Yeah, Anyway, so in the midfield, what I decided to do, obviously we had three in midfield. I said I'll have one central defensive midfielder and I'll have two centre mids um, in a triangle formation in front of him. Um, now, for my centre defensive midfielder, um, I would love to give a special um, uh, mention to obviously uh, Jordan Henderson. Uh, he's played in that position a lot this season. Also, he's played a bit more attackingly. Um, he's up for the PFA Player of the Year, understandably so. He's been absolutely class this year. He's very underrated, in my opinion. You know, people give him a lot of stick, but you cannot fault him this year. You know, no one can fault him this year the way he's played. Um, it'd be foolish to say that otherwise. Um, and then secondly, I'd like to give a special shout out to Neves from Wolves. I think Nino Santo uh, Esprio, if that's how his name is pronounced, um, is, a, is an absolute gem of a manager. Um, and Neves himself playing in that role um, is outstanding. Um, I read somewhere that many team, many of the top four teams are interested in in, in buying him uh, for that for that reason that he is amazing. He is amazing in that. Position. Mate, he's so he's so young as well. Still, I think is he? Like, he's literally a star of the future. Nevesh. Yeah, he's not an old guy at all. I think he's only about. I, mean, I might be. Oh, well, I might be completely wrong, but I'm pretty sure he's like 24 or something like that. Or maybe slightly young. But wow, for a midfielder. He's got a lot of years left in the clock, that guy. He's a quality player. Yeah, see, that that, that, that does shock me. Um, you know, I was under the impression that he was a lot older. So, um, you know, another reason why he was so close to being in my team. But um, similar to, obviously, my friend here, you know, I would have put Kante in in a heartbeat. You know, this guy is a freak of nature normally. Um, but I had to go, surprisingly, an agreement here. I've gone with Wilfred Ndidi um, for obvious reasons. Lad, this 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 guy has been amazing in centre CDM position. You know the amount of interceptions that he's had, um, the way he's run the show, the distance that he's covered. Um, I can't fault him in his position, and he's there. He's there, hands down for me. Um, in the other central midfielder position, um, I think there's no debate on this one whatsoever. Probably the best midfielder in the world, at least the top two or three. Uh, one of the best passes to grace the league. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, um, KDB, in the short form, form um, he was the first or so, he was the second person on my sheet after Virgil. Um, he's uh, he's hands down he's hands down you know City's main man, and he gets in there. I don't even think there's a debate. Um, but finding the second central midfielder was a real tough one. Now this is my toughest. Um, my really was my toughest choice. Um, alongside my my striker up top and my other centre back, um, but after long debate, you know, Man United fans do get excited here. But what I'm going to say, um, no, it's not Fred. Don't get too excited. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to ask you, is it Fred? Every... <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. You said a cracking season, but I was literally thinking, shit. Who care? Who else could no, you be talking so, about? So don't get too excited. But this is a special mention here. Every single part of me wanted to put Bruno Fernandez in this team, but I couldn't because it's the team of the season. Bruno Fernandez has come in in January and has arguably been, you know, absolute world beater. He said he's played four ga- five, four or five games. He's had two goals, three assists. He's came in. He's had he hasn't even had a chance to breathe, and he's just dominated in that central midfield. He's changed United's team. He's made them a different team. 
Um, every part of me wanted to put him in, but I couldn't because of what this what this team is about. Um, he's won the player of the season. Well, I'm glad you did. No, I'm glad no, it would be wrong for me to do it, but he's won the player of the month in February. It's an exciting time for United um, having him over there. Um, but obviously, the combination of KDB, good luck, yeah, good luck, yeah, to, good luck them. to them. The K, the combination of the two would be great together. But special mention, obviously, similar to my friend, goes to uh, likes of Grealish, um, who I thought was great. Um, my argument for not putting him in is if you were that great, you wouldn't be in the bottom three. But maybe that's a bit harsh, considering um, you know what Villa are about. Very harsh. It is a bit harsh. It's not a one-man game. Sport. It is not a one-man it's game. A team sport. sport. Um, you know, if I'm putting a, if I was if I'm putting a team together, you know, I do look at the the attitude aspect of him. I would, you know, the gentleman had a party during lockdown. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a separate conversation. Yeah, yeah being harsh. I'm being harsh. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't talk about. I think you are because I think yeah. Forget the lockdown, right? That that brings up other mental issues. Of course, of course. Right? Okay, that's a very like, good. But anyway, I'm not. I'm, that's a very like we can talk about Jose Mourinho, like one of the best managers. Well, like you said, he technically broke of course he did. rules, right? By training alongside Endo Belle. So you can't say he's not a good manager just because he broke down lockdown rules. Like, so many people, of course. Um, which obviously, for right or wrong reason, um, but yeah, Grealish, in my opinion, just to touch yeah, on that point. I absolutely agree with you. I think he's a fantastic player. Um, but I, I do also think he's carrying that team, yeah. um, which obviously is below par. There's a, there's a very far and few between players in that team who are up to scratch in Premier League uh, level. And I, I hate to say it because I, I do. But, you know, he's obviously excelled this season and he showed his class amongst that team and yeah. he's proven that he belongs at this level. Full stop. So if you put him in a better team... You never know what's going to happen. Agreed. You never know what's going to happen. And that was that was, that was was exactly the point I was going to make next. You know, if he does get signed by likes of a different team, is he going to be the same kind of same kind of star he was this year? And that's, that's you know, up for debate when that happens. And, you know, that's all hypothetical scenarios. Um, but totally agree with you there on that front. I was being a bit harsh there, you know, to, to Jack. But, um, you know... Uh, but uh, bro, just I know I don't want to spend too much time on Jack Grealish, but just to touch on it again, I mean I've followed Jack Grealish for a long time, and um, he I remember in his early years he was like the you know a hot prospect in quotations mm-hmm. because so many young English players are when they come to um, mm-hmm. come to the forefront, and his attitude was a bit funky this that, and the other. But the fact is he actually stayed with his boyhood club. He 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 made captain at such a young age. He stuck with them through thick and thin, through relegation, this and the other, the fight back up to promotion. He's proven his qualities and now he's literally been their best player in the Premier League. He is actually a model, in my opinion, model player in the in terms of how he's matured. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I respect most about him. Forget his quality, but the way he's matured. And you look at it last last season, was it, where he got punched like stupidly by mm-hmm. a fan. I remember that. Like point blank for no reason. Like, do you know what I mean? And his attitude, his response to that, it was so mature and so it was something you want to see in a leader and a captain. Like you don't respond to stupidness like that. Mm-hmm. And it was something like that, which made me realize, all right, this guy has matured so much. Mm. He, he is, I think he's a real deal. I think he can go, I, I think he can go far past. And I, I do like him. Yeah. Really, I'm a big fan of him now. Yeah. You make a good point. I really, I really hope he does. You know, I, I, I think he doesn't help himself when he goes and crashes his car during lockdown, but that's a different scenario. You know, that is a different scenario. Um, as you said, I hope that he becomes England's <laughs> midfielder. That's, I hope he becomes England's midfielder. Well, all I'll say is, what was 
Uh, there might have been a lot of traffic on the road, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, look. Move, I think moving on from Grealish, I did want to make a special mention to um, Todd Cantwell from Norwich, um, John Fleck from Sheffield United, Johnny Lundstrom, Lord Lundstrom, to fancy football fans out there, um, and also Mason Mount as well, oh. who's done well. Gone. John Fleck, sorry, can I just jump in? Johnny Fleck. Sorry, man, I, I'm just respecting. Yeah, yeah Fleck, yeah, he's a fucking quality player, man. Yeah. I, I, he was one of those who I was going to mention, but I, I think I might have forgotten to write it down. But yeah. he's absolutely, yeah, he's been quality Fleck, this season. Big, big yeah, fan of his. Couldn't agree more. Fleck, he's been great. Um, and I think last but last least with Dwight McNeil, I just wanted to mention Dwight McNeil for Burnley, you know, for yeah, potential another England. Okay, I gotta jump in again. I gotta, I gotta jump in again. <laughs> this guy, another one. I was I literally bro. Now honestly, like I was speaking to my mate a few months ago. I was watching him, I was watching him in a game or whatever, and I, I've seen him since last season. Last season I saw him and I was just like, all right, this is all right, he's not a bad yeah. youngster. Seeing him this season, oh my oh. god, the transformation he has made from last season to this season. That guy, spot on what you said, he has got to be a future England player, Definitely. man. That guy is quality. The improvements he's made is fantastic. He's probably one of Burnley's best players, if not yeah. the best, but Hands down. he's smashed it. He's smashed Hands it. down. Um, but yeah, going back, this, this is what... Sorry for no, 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 please, Gary. please. But, but going back to the decision that I made, um, I'm shocked that we came to the same decision, but I've also gone for Mateo Kovacic. Um and what the fuck are you yeah, I am very serious and you're probably very surprised but <laughs> oh, um, I really looked at it and you're not going for brother what uh, sorry say that again please you're not going for a long staff brother or something like that no <laughs> I wanted to put Matty in there just because of what he did against United but no <laughs> um yeah I had to put Kovacic in um really 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 you know I didn't really, not that I didn't, I didn't really know much about him. I didn't really, you know, I'm not an avid Chelsea fan, but like I didn't really know much about Kovacic before this season, but he really has, you know, become the star player for Chelsea over there. Um, he's had a great season. Um, Mate, he, he, he is, um, he is, uh, <coughs> sorry, so sorry to buy ah, again, man. I'm just, I'm input. just excited by seeing your team. Um, but I've got to say something about Kovacic. He is, in a way, gone under the radar for Chelsea purely because the narrative has been completely about youngsters and all that. And fair play to Frank and Jody, they've, they've pulled in the youngsters and they've done great. It's made people people like us again. It's given us sort of a revitalization. It's given us some energy, this and the other. And it's obviously at current moment in time, it's kept us at fourth place. Um, but Kovacic, whenever you see him play this season, and no, no disrespect to Sarri whatsoever, because again, you got to remember it's Kovacic's first season last year where you're new to the Premier League, which is such a difficult league to adapt to for most players. Mm. He has been absolutely tremendous. The way he's carried that ball and literally started attacks, broke down defences from one end and then driven the ball, like with a lot of times looking with ease, like just getting past players like in the centre of the park who are quality Premier League players. And not just that, even the Champions League, if you watch them in those games against big teams at Ajax and stuff, right? He's smashed it. He's absolutely smashed it. And every time you watch them this season, like for the most part, he, he's been my favourite player and um, I actually think he's been Chelsea's player this season personally. So yeah, we'll see what comes up. But I'm glad you put him in there because uh, I, I, not many people would, do you know what I mean? That, that's a really good choice. Yeah. You've got to really watch that team carefully to no, see definitely. that. No, 
That's a really good choice. No, I put, put him in there just because I think you know the likes of Ndidi, um, Kovacic, and De I think Kovacic and De Bruyne could link up well. You know, you got De Bruyne being a little, slightly more attacking than Kovacic potentially, obviously for obvious reasons. So I just thought it would link up well um, there. Um, I think moving on to my front line, from for me, um, there was another person that was the third most easiest decision on this team, and that was um, for me the PFA Player of the Year, hands down, um, Sadio Mane. Um, this gentleman's work rate is on another level. He's unbelievable. Um, 14 goals, seven assists this year. Um, when you've got Lionel Messi um, coming out and saying, Lionel Messi apparently isn't a nice gentleman. Lionel Messi came out and said he admitted it was a shame not to see Sadio Mane finish in the top three for the Ballon d'Or rankings. Um, and he, Messi even voted for Mane in, 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 in this Ballon d'Or thing. Um, I had to put Sadio in there. Um, I'm playing him in his favourable position, which is on the left-hand side of the pitch. Um, in that front three. Um, and he for me, he was there as a lock-in, basically, um, as such. Um, I think moving on to my uh, right-hand um, side now, obviously I've used all three of my Liverpool players, Virgil, Robertson and uh, Mane. So I couldn't put Salah in there. Obviously I would, um, but I couldn't. So I had to give a special special mention to obviously him, um, obviously, special mention to Raheem, even though he does play on the other side, but they do transfer across. Sterling did have a good start to the season. He's tailed off a bit when when Man City were, you know, couldn't really win the league as such. I do rate him highly. Um, uh, and then, obviously, another another special uh, mention had to go to Adnan Traore for Wolves um, at the right at the right wing wing position there. Adnan, you mean Ad Adana. Adama? Thank you for Adama, right? Adana Traore. Adama. Adama. Traore. Adnan, yeah, he, he probably plays in the he probably plays in the Indian <laughs> league. Adnan, Adnan Traore, um, no, this guy's an absolute beast um, as well. Um, I was close to putting him in. Um, another special mention to DJ uh, Daniel James, um, very young kid, has come from the championship, um, done really well for United at times when I watched him play. Um, he's a real live wire. Um, he started well, didn't he? He, he started well, didn't he? he did, I, I don't think he's done he much since. I do see him as a threat when it comes to that right right wing position. Um, I'm the person, and also special mention is going to go out again to Alan Sir Maximum. This guy's a freak. Um, but um, I, I, I had to, I had to choose someone here, and I'm going to play him slightly out of his favourable position. He does like to play where Mane plays, but I think he can play on the right over there. And it goes back to something that you mentioned, and that goes back to Aubameyang and what he's done this year. Um, Aubameyang, yeah, look, he scored 17 goals, his second highest goal scorer this year. I truly believe he was at a different team, right? He would be the top goal scorer hands down this year. Um, if he was playing for the likes of Man City or the likes of Liverpool, he would be the top goal scorer easily. I, I, um, I know that's a bold statement to make, but the fact that what's happened with Arsenal this year with Unai Emery, you know, getting a new manager here with Arteta, um, I had to put him in my team there at that right wing, uh, I say right wing, the you know the attacking forward position there um, as such. Now, my final position is striker, obviously up top. Now, there is a list here of about eight players that have done well this season. Um, for me, I've chosen, I've chosen obviously the one, um, but a special mention has to go out to Danny Ings. Uh, what a season this gentleman has had. Um, he doesn't take penalties either. He scored 15 goals. Um, he's probably one of the stories of the season. He struggled with knee injuries for the lot, for the majority of his career. Um, I've got a lot of time for him and the way he's resurged, resurged himself and really become the forefront of Southampton's team. Um, so special mention had to go out for him. Absolutely. Um, I re 
Definitely, definitely. definitely. I mean, I really wanted to put this player, this this other player in my team, and that that is the wolf striker Raúl Jiménez. I've got so much time for Jiménez um, as as a striker. He's had 13 goals this year, seven assists. Um, he's been class for Wolves. He has a great work rate, um, but he just missed out. Um, again, you've got the obvious ones such as Aguero. There isn't a debate on Aguero. Um, it, you know, if someone wanted to put Aguero in, he's the type of person that I that I could I couldn't say no to. Um, you know, he's fantastic. Um, he's done it for years. He's going to be in the top three goal scorers of all time, probably in the Premier League, if not the top two, if he stays. Um, and you know, can fault him. Uh, another mention obviously goes to Rashford as well. You know, if he didn't get injured, he's had moments of magic. He's had 14 goals. He's guilty of missing his chances, but he's been great for United. Um, I did want to make a special mention to Tammy Abraham. He surprised me really a big, big, big way this season. Um, you know, before his injury started taking a toll, um, he was banging goals in for fun. And I, I really didn't think it would be like that. Um, you probably have better input on this subject of Tammy. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, he was part of my special mentions alongside Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who has turned a corner. Yeah, like we mentioned, Jeremiah Dominic has um, surprised, I think, the most people. So I think he, not in a rude way to him at all, he, I thought he was pretty average yeah, at best. Yeah, totally. Right? Um, but under Ancelotti, he, I don't understand what's happening. He's <laughs> literally turned into an actual goal yeah. scorer, like, which is crazy because I, I don't know what he was doing in the Premier League before that, but he's actually really turned Definitely. Tammy, yeah, um, I've got mixed feelings with Have Tammy. Um, okay, interesting. He's definitely done well in terms of his numbers. Definitely done well, but also in terms of um, chances missed and... Um, his hold-up play in general. You can say he's young and this and the other, but then again, he's he's been around the block a while. And I don't just mean the Premier League, you're right. It's the second spell in the Premier League, mm. if you like. If you saw him in his first spell before the season started, seeing him at Swansea, mm. he was atrocious, mm-hmm. right? Um, but you can't blame for that because it's a lot younger. It was his first spell. The, the one thing I rate most about him is how he's come, come through it in his second spell. He's literally not all of those sort of um, issues that he had at Swansea mm-hmm. to bed mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed seeing him um, I still I still don't think he's the well obviously he's not a finished article and I still don't think he's the answer to um, Chelsea's strike force um, I think other youngsters we've seen at Chelsea who have played this season are definitely better mm-hmm. better equipped to be um, future future England future mm-hmm. Chelsea stars mm-hmm. like um, well not just England sorry but any international team they play for but uh, a big mention who I, I didn't say before, but Reese James, in my opinion. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's incredible. I genuinely think he's actually incredible right back. What about um, Tamori? And Mason Mount, you mentioned. Yeah, Fikayo Tamori, he struggled a lot, man. Like, struggled. He came into the scene, he burst onto the scene. He, yeah, he burst onto the scene, he was really good. And you saw a lot of his struggles after that. And uh, you never saw him again after that. You saw him on the mm-hmm. bench for a lot of times. Um, and that, sh- that showed, no, it just showed. Like, yeah, not all youngsters are going to get put into the put into the starting eleven and then are going to succeed because he's still young. It, it, there's no there's no shame in putting a youngster in, giving him a few games, giving him some experience, and then taking him out again to reflect, to build on his skills, to build on his character, to just brush up and polish his actual game, and then putting him back again when he's ready. And the same thing happened with Tammy. If you think about it, just kind of a long route round because Tammy done the same as Swansea. He got loaned out to them. He was not good. He went back to the championship where he smashed it season before away with Bristol City, this and the other. He'd done the same with Villa. And then he came back to the Premier League and he took the long route round and he looked a lot better. So there's nothing wrong with Tammy. 
You know what I mean? Tammy smashed it at Derby last year. He done really well in certain games at the start for Chelsea, but then when he came against some big clubs, he really showed his level of experience uh, wasn't quite there. Um, I still think, like I said, I don't blame the defenders in Chelsea this season. I still think it's the transition into defence. And I think I think there's a coaching issue there still. Not, 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 not blaming the managers and coaches. I'm just saying, I think they're maybe not seeing something properly or they're not, they're not, um, addressing something properly but mm -hmm. yeah what you said about Tammy's great and um and this and the other but um yeah you made it yeah you got some good top quality strikers yeah. and uh forwards I mean going 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 to who I've chosen um up top it's um it is the top goal scorer of the of the season so far it's Jamie Vardy um I couldn't leave him out um I think his story is amazing what he's done this season is great again um Brendan Rodgers again has done amazing with him um, he has the best shot to shot conversion rate in the whole of the league. Um, I had to put him up there up top. So um, that wraps up, wraps up my team um, of the season. I, I, I think I think I missed who who is your other attacker uh, from the front three. I know you got Mane, you got Vardy. I think I missed who you other. Aubameyang. So we Aubameyang. So we both agreed on that. Oh, you put Albert, yeah, so, okay. We both agreed on Oba. Um, awesome, awesome. So now this is where the fun begins, awesome. isn't it? Well, yeah, you say fun, but looking at the numbers, we actually had a very I know. Team. So I'm sure. if I just run through, mate, we've got two, four, six. We've got nine out of, no, that's wrong. We've got eight out of 11 similar players. So we've got three positions to fill. So I'll run through them. Number one is the goalkeeper position. I put Nick Pope, you put Dean Henderson. Yep. Uh, right back position, I put uh, Ricardo Pereira, you put Aaron Wambasaka. Um, and then finally, the central striker position, I put Aguero, you put Vardy. So three positions there, which honestly, uh, probably two out of three of them, I would actually happily take your stance on. Uh, one, I still think, I still feel quite strongly about. Um, let, 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 let's work our way down the list. So, um, all right, let, let's start at the goalkeeper position. Um, <clears throat> so you said Dean Anderson, I said Nick Pope. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, I'll, I'll just say my point quickly and then you can come back. Um, uh, you said actually during your argument, um, when you were actually addressing Pope, you said, in your opinion, he's England's number one. You said Pickford isn't good. Uh, if you're looking at England number one, Henderson's clearly English. And if Pope is England's number one and Henderson's not, then I think you're kind of maybe contradicting yourself. Also looking at experience, um, and you look at the league position as well for for someone like Pope and the team they've got. Not saying Sheffield United's team's much better. Obviously, I think they're maybe doing better as a team as a whole, being fifth or sixth wherever they're in the league. But um, I think Pope, he's, in my opinion, is just um, yeah, like you like you said, I agree with you. I think he's England's number one, and um, I think this season he's done really well. So I, I I can't I can't have a you know a major a major debate here. The one thing I will say about Dean Henderson, he's 23 years old. He's a goalkeeper. He's 23 years old. He's come in on his first season in the Premier League. Sheffield United are sixth or seventh in the league. Um, they arguably they 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 have a worse team than Burnley. Um, arguably when you when you when you think a bit like that, no one no one have thought they'd be in a. Well, yeah, definitely definitely less experience. No, definitely less experience. Yeah. You're right. Definitely. For me. I I I had to I have I had to put him in there. But if you're I'm willing to concede uh with with Nick Pope if you feel very strongly about him. 
Um, and, you know, it's a toss-up, basically. It's a 50-50 toss-up on that front. Yeah, it is a toss-up. Uh, I don't feel that strongly about either, to be honest, because um, I, I still don't think they're the best goalkeepers in the league by, by no. any shot. I think they're really very good goalkeepers and they've had great seasons. Um, so I, I'm not going to lie, I couldn't care less <laughs> about this position. I think they're just stand, not in the rude way, I think, I, I think they're just good English goalkeepers and they've had great seasons. Um, um, so there you go. I'll, I'm going to let you choose this one, to be honest, man, because like I said, I, I couldn't care less about this position because I don't think there's too much between them and I think both of them have uh, good shouts of being number one choice yeah. in terms of player of the season for a goalkeeper. All right. You know, go on, tell us what, what it is. I'll, Who's it going to be? What? I, I, I'm going I'm to go, give you Nick Pope and put Nick Pope as the starting goalkeeper. Because I ain't budget. There we go. But you know, mate, I ain't budging on the right back. <laughs> well, that's probably the one position. There isn't a debate, well, that's the one there isn't a debate between the two. Well, okay. okay, well, okay. That's let's look at the stats. That's unfair. That's unfair. That's What's unfair that? to say there That's isn't unfair. a debate between Arrow and Basaka and Ricardo Pereira. Because Pereira, I did put him in my... I didn't say that. I said... Oh, you're saying it's unfair for yourself to say. No, no. I'm just saying that Wan Basaka is a better player. Um, definitely. And a better defender. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I was looking at stats. Like I said, I looked at number of tackles. Mm. Uh, Pereira leads the list with like 119... Wambasaka was um, slightly further mm. down with 91, not so mm. far down. Um, in terms of assists and stuff, I haven't looked too much into that. I just think if you look at their league position, uh, the, the kind of players they play with uh, within their squad as well. Um, I just, you always got to look at Leicester, obviously, and it's no disrespect, it's obviously a lesser team than United. And it's a similar argument that you're saying with Henderson, mm. maybe against Allison or. I don't know, a De Gea or mm-hmm. something like that, where you look at the players surrounding them. And I think Pereira has shocked a lot of people by arguably arguably, arguably being one of the best right-backs in the Premier League this season. But to be honest, again, I think I think my toss-up was between Trent, um, not defensively, just purely attacking, mm. and Pereira. Mm. But Wambasaka was my special mention. Mm. And uh, I would have... I, I think in a few years, he's going to be one of the best right-backs in the country, mm. I mean that for England. So I don't have too many qualms about putting him in, but I think this season, if we're looking just at this season, I still a hundred percent think Pereira's done better. So you look at their stats and where they're on the league. There's no question he's done better. Like without a shadow of a doubt, you just compare Man United and mm. and uh, Leicester, and you look at each of those individual influences within their teams and why they are where they are. Pereira's had hundred percent a bigger influence on his team than Juan Bissaka has on his. You may have seen a spark in Wambasaka, which I have as well, and I agree with, but it doesn't mean he's he's done an awful lot for that team. He's just shown good quality. He's shown that he can be a good right back. It doesn't mean he's uh, right back of the season, right? Pereira's actually shown what he's done and proven it by pushing his team up the up the league. Uh, up the league, yeah. So that's my big argument. I agree with you. Wambasaka's quality, but Pereira's actually shown it and influenced his team's position in the league. Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think the argument would be that uh, Man United wouldn't even be in the top six if it wasn't for Basaka. The way because defensively they haven't conceded many goals this year. Okay, but l- 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 let's get this straight. Let's get let's get this straight. They, yeah, but let's get this straight. They haven't been in the top six for long. All right, they're not. They haven't been a regular in the top six. They've literally fluctuated all season. Whilst Leicester have been pretty much in the top four. 
for the whole season. So there's a big difference between looking where they sit now in compare, compared to the whole season. And I think Pereira, consistent consistency-wise, he's definitely got an edge on Wan-Bissaka. I don't think Wan-Bissaka has carried them as much. I just think he's shown a lot of talent and uh, shown that he's a he's a really good right back. But I think it goes, that that's what all I was. Okay, saying. I think it goes back to what you were saying that this is an individual based thing. It isn't based upon what you did. Obviously, it's based upon what you did for your team. And you go back to the Grealish argument. That it's an individual based thing. I think what Wan Bissaka has put defenders in his pocket from the best teams. He put Sterling in his pocket for fun. Um, and you're looking at you're looking at um, him him addressing the best players in the league. I think Wan-Bissaka, Wan-Bissaka... But can you tell me, answer me this, answer me this, have you seen Pereira put anyone in his pocket or have you just not watched probably enough Probably games? haven't watched enough Leicester games. That's, that, that I will give you some honesty on um, there. Um, I just think it would be... It would be I just think Wan-Bissaka is the better, better, better player. He's been a better player this season. Um, but I understand your argument, what you're saying there with the fact that, you know, Leicester are higher in the league. Um, when you look at um, not just higher in the league, mate, he's higher in number of tackles, and I'm sure if you look at assists as well, I'm pretty sure he's got to be higher. Stuff like that. Um, I'm guessing on assists, but tackles, I've given you that number: 119 versus 91. Yeah, uh, it's not a big difference, it's a big difference, but it's a difference, right? Yeah, it's a pretty, it's, pl- it's a pretty clear stat. It's the, it's one of the reasons why I didn't put Trent in my team. Yeah, because defensively he was he was nowhere near the stats. It was pure attacking and. I just don't think Trench is actually a proper right back. I think in future going forward, he's he's going to be doing Gareth Bale with what he did at Tottenham. Yeah. In terms of assists, they both have two assists this season each. Um, so maybe, 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 maybe. <laughs> Breaking the bank there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, fuck, maybe, fuck uh, okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll go on the fact that uh, I don't want to budge on AWB. I'm sorry. All right, you know, if you don't budge, I'll give you AWB. Sorry. Um, Sorry. But no, don't apologize because all my all my listeners know um, in the shed is Pereira outside the shed. No, listeners, we want to hear. We, so we want to hear from you. We want to hear what your thoughts are on the AWB Ricardo Pereira uh, battle. You know, write your thoughts in if you can do that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. where are they going to write it to? <laughs> like, the shed, the shed, shed is in a very anonymous location. Yeah. Yeah. In the med- middle of the like Hef- Hefridis or something, you know? so yeah. no one knows where it is. That's All right, true. let's move on to our final, final, um, final position because we're we're running out of time here. Out of time. Um, yeah, so we've got Aguero from my point of view, Vardy from yours. Um, to be honest, with me, it was a toss up. So I get what you're saying: shot conversion rate, Vardy, uh, minutes per goal, Vardy. Um, I kind of maybe was a bit nostalgic and used Aguero's history, which probably isn't correct in this game. Mm. So um, I chose Aguero and the fact they got injured as well because mm. he was having a cracking season, man. He was scoring like two, three games, of, yeah. uh, goals a game like for, for, for a period, wasn't he? But, yeah. Um, yeah, he's one PFA player. Well, yeah, but that's my argument. But um, This one I don't have an argument on. I just think you've got to give it to the top goal scorer. And, he, you know, he's got 19 goals, Vardy, and the, you know, probably... As you said, one of the reasons I say one of the reasons that Leicester are there. But then, it's, a tough, but then but... it's a tough one. This one, as I said with Aguero, there's no debate. If you want to go Aguero in the team, I don't think you can debate. It... No, it's a tough one. I, I think there's a stigma. We're talking about strikers. You're talking about pure goals. Mm. My debate going back to the right back position: tackles. Surely tackles has got to be the 
first remit of being a defender. The more tackles you make, the more successful tackles you make. That makes you a good defender. Obviously, you're not scoring goals, but there's probably the closest comparison you can make, right? And I know the game's changed, but um, you still went with uh, a team which was like four spots or something below them. In the yeah. Now you're going for a team which is one spot below. And, you know what I mean? This is some chat. I think... Um, but then again, if you look at the, yeah, if you look I, at the tackle I, stats... I'm just intrigued by that. No, if you look at the tackle stats, you know, the you, the argument is where, you know, Robertson and uh, Alexander-Arnold don't feature in the top in the, in the top uh, 10 or the top 20 tackle stats. So that doesn't necessarily make them good, the worst defenders, right, does it? Um it doesn't, but you got to look at their team. You got to look at their team as a whole, though, mate. You got to look at the whole team. Like it's like goalie. You're not going to look at a, a top class goalie and just if you look at a top class goalie, Allison, and look at the stats, something like shots faced or shots saved, it's going to be low mm. compared to Dubravka and Nick Pope, people like that, because their defense is weaker, their midfield is weaker, mm. the, the teams they're playing against are stronger. Than mm. If you're looking at the best team in the league, obviously they're not going to get punished as much. So. It's different. You've got to think about it like that. Do you know what I mean? Like Leicester's not one of the top teams in the league, but the fact that he's tackled a lot and he's stopped things getting through mm. shows that, you know, he's saved a lot of issues for Kasper Schmeichel. Do you know what I mean? Who's actually another keeper. We've we didn't forget to, to make him uh, Again, I think, I think he's been really good. Yeah. Tour, but um, Anyway, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you Vardy. I'm going to give you Vardy because I think the thing that swayed it for me was uh, the shot conversion rate. Um, and yeah, even though hey, he's top goal scorer and I would have said something like, oh, Aguero's been injured. But actually, if you look at minutes per goal, I think Vardy actually edges him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there we go. That's the team. That's our joint team. Uh, let's give it a quick readout. We've got 4-4-3. Uh, so we've got Nick Pope and goal we agreed on. We've got Aaron Wan-Bissaka right back. Sayonchu, Virgil van Dijk and Robertson makes up the defence. Macho Kovacic, Wilfred Ndidi, KDB will make up the uh, midfield. And then we've got Alba, Vardy and Mane make up the attack mm. that is a fucking that is sport. a good team so and who's our manager going to be uh, is there a debate <laughs> well I'm, I'm you know because you're the guest here, I'm going to let you pick our manager so tell our viewers who it is our listeners sorry and then uh, we're, we're going to bid farewell I think we're going to go with Jürgen Klopp guys special man Wilder though yeah. awesome awesome yeah no there's definitely been um, a lot a lot of quality managers this season but yeah, Wilder definitely has to get a special mention. Can I just say before... Yeah, it's hard to look past yoga. Can I just say before uh, we, we do go, um, it's, uh, I'd really like to thank you for letting me uh, join you on this podcast today. It's been a hell of a lot of fun and I've enjoyed every moment of it, so thank you. Ah, oh, mate, it's, I think... Well, it's definitely been my pleasure. I hope it's been the listeners' pleasure, which I'm sure it has. Indeed. Um, and we hope to hear from you again soon. Hopefully when lockdown is uh, kind of eased up and... Uh, Hopefully, when we're seeing some more football, so um, definitely, maybe we'll address these uh, address these uh, the team of the season at the end if we get an end. So I'd love uh, to do I'll that. I'd that love to that. do that. Yeah. All right, there we go. All right, cheers, Ro. Uh, thank thanks you. for coming. We appreciate your time. Um, we look forward to hearing from you again soon. And thank you to all our listeners. Stay safe, people. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.